All right, welcome on to our East off-season grades. We definitely have missed y'all. We were at a higher tempo there for a second, so a little bit of a break over the last week, but we'll be at two days a week for the rest of the off-season up until October. So let's get started with the East off-season grades, Danny, and just switch up, make sure that we don't forget about the bottom of the alphabet. I, I for one, am champing at the bit to discuss the Washington Wizards. Oh, baby. Uh, I, I I would describe it that the Wizards had three big elements of their 2022 offseason in I would say in order of importance. Number one is retaining Bradley Beal and the terms there are essential five years at the 35 percent max with a fourth a fifth year player option and underline bold italicized a no trade clause for Bradley Beal. We'll talk about why that's important. So that's one. In number two, I would argue, is drafting Johnny Davis, number 10, out of Wisconsin. And then number three is the trade they did with Denver, where they sent Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Ish Smith and received in return Monte Morris and Will Barton. So the way I would characterize so much of what the Wizards have done, honestly, over the last maybe three years is the execution of the strategy, the tactics used were actually pretty good, but the strategy is terrible. It's the the invading army. All right, we did an amazing job. We did beautiful combined arms. We, we took over this bridge with no casualties. Oh, but the bridge leads to absolutely nowhere. <laughs> right? So that's, and I mean, you can certainly quibble with, some of the strategy involved here maybe the taking of davis at number 10 in particular there is you know i guess the part of the thinking was that he's a more of a ready player or whatever but just the overall overarching strategy as it has been essentially god i mean how, how long do you have to go back uh certainly in the ted leonsis era I, I think he is the person most responsible for this uh that overall strategy has been lacking they are committing to a path that you and i both think is not a path worth committing to and incidentally this was the least this was the least good time to move or move on from bradley beal of any of the last four years just because you're you know it's just maybe you could get something in a sign trade it didn't seem like it was that kind of year and also you had the risk of losing him for nothing and everything else so retaining bradley beal you and i did an extended thing on this of would you do it and i said yes but i would not have given him a no trade clause and the biggest reason why is because it almost assures that you're going if you end up moving Bradley Beal and you can only do that now if he wants to do it so that takes away a number of different it's the right thing to do but you can't do it like let's say the difference between Beal and Gobert this year would Gobert have approved the trade to Minnesota unclear but in some ways as important as that is that it makes it extremely likely that the return you get for Beal is minimized because he wields so much control over the process like imagine if Anthony Davis had had a no trade clause and then and was trying to work his way to the Lakers he could have increased the caliber of his teammates by just saying, I'm not going anywhere else. You know, just basically hold putting put being an additional veto player in those transactions generally means that the sending out team of the player, in this case, the Wizards, gets very little in return. Yeah, and you just uh, need to go back to uh, the Carmelo Anthony saga in which 
He only wanted to be traded to Houston back in the summer of 2017. And then, and this is when Carmelo still had a lot of stature. It became clear that he was pretty done after this. But but at the time, it seemed like they could have gotten more for him. He was still viewed as an all-star level of player. And then finally, he agreed to go to OKC as well. But still, they didn't didn't get much for him. They didn't get a first-round pick. It was, uh, I think it was just a second, Doug McDermott and Ennis Cancer. And, you know, for years and years it seemed like they wanted to trade him and he he didn't want to go and they clearly did not get the best offer for Carmelo and I think for Beal it's just this takes away or or for the Wizards with Beal this takes away so much of the potential upside of re-signing him right I I mean clearly paying him a 57 million dollar player option in the 26-27 season is going to be awful but we've seen teams be able to move off of guys Gobert or CJ McCollum where it seemed like the player had a bad contract but was still productive at that time and, and teams were interested in him well now you're really reducing the chance that you'll be able to trade him for positive value so it's either going to end in most likely he's just stuck there and he's not any good because they don't ever seem to ever want to trade him but if they finally did get religion and realize hey we're going nowhere like say they missed the playoffs this year again and they just still have no path forward then you're just and you try to trade him now your chances of rebuilding and actually ever getting somewhere those are going to be slowed down quite a bit uh so i mean just for that Beal transaction alone which is the biggest thing that they did i mean i would have to go with uh with a d there i mean i guess you could say danny that at least for right now he has positive trade value but that could change very very quickly right he just has the same season he had last year and now and, oh, and, man, he, this and is awful. he'll has complete control over whether that actually matters and odds are he might want to stick around for a year or two or you know however however long this ends up being so whether he has i, I mean there's a chance that he wants to stick around longer than he has positive trade value and that's beal's prerogative he has he has negotiated yeah. that right and so yeah i'm with you on around a, a d for that and yeah, then you have because there's still a chance that uh, like you might say oh my god you, why aren't you giving him enough you've been so critical of the no trade clause well uh, i mean they're they didn't really have much else to do with their money we've seen that cap space really didn't get a lot of teams really anywhere this year and there weren't great free agents and there weren't necessarily going to be great free agents that they could get going forward here. And there's still a decent chance they could trade him for positive value, although I think it's more likely than not that that does not yeah, it's, happen. It's mu- it could be muted positive value. That doesn't mean not positive value. It just means less. Yeah. Than, well, than and we could also it. just say, hey, this is just letting him go for nothing. At least you're starting the rebuild earlier, right? Whereas keeping him around now, this is just another year in the wilderness, another year getting the 10th pick and probably blowing it uh, if the history has been any indication there so so that's the other thing too is you're just again kicking the can down the road delaying the pain that must come to actually get high level talent in here which is by actually rebuilding and, and they have some good players on this team that they could trade to make that rebuild happen um let's talk about some of the good stuff they did though at least in terms of trying to achieve their goal of being more competitive this year delon Wright, two years 16 million totally good he's going to compete for the starting one probably will lose that competition to Monte Morris. Uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, a good player, but also someone who maybe you know played the same position as.
as Bradley Beal, they do have decent-ish depth on the wing, particularly because they picked up Will Barton in that trade. I mean, simply just talent in, talent out uh, to get Morris and Barton for KCP and Ish Smith. I mean, you just added more talent basically just because they were willing to take on a little bit more salary. We were critical well, and, of the Nuggets for that. And you and you added an extra year of team control on the player who has the best value contract of the four, right? So that yeah, you, which is Morris. Great point. Which is Morris. So then you have him at nine point eight million for the next year for twenty three twenty four. And they had they had a huge hole at point guard that they had to fill. And you know, there's talk like, oh, we're going to trade number ten for Malcolm Brogdon and stuff like that. Uh, this was just a they basically didn't have to give up much, if anything, to fill that hole. You know, they just signed a guy, which is, is their mid level. That there's actually a decent mid level signing considering how little was out there. And then you know they traded for for Morris as well. So I mean, those they're not like you know their point guard situation isn't you know top twenty in the league probably, but they at least got competence there at that position now and, if they desperately need. And it's going to make a huge difference in terms of their viability game to game next year. And also, I mean, there is a distinct chance that they sold high on Caldwell Pope. There were times last year where he looked a little bit toast and to also because KCP, he's a good defender, but he's he's the, what he does best defensively wasn't a great fit with the Wizards just because of, okay, you have Beal, but then you need somebody to run the offense next to him. So then is KCP a three? How much versatility do the Beal and the point guard to be named later have? It? And But for the Nuggets, they had a specific need for somebody like KCP. And so they were able to get basically sell KCP at the Nuggets valuation and then get somebody like Will Barton who can play and theoretically if they don't want Will Barton the Wizards could move him on to another team he's an expiring contract probably not a vessel for taking on for taking on someone else um, so yeah, I thought that went well for them. Right, completely reasonable signing. They were able to do that and kind of minimums under the, and of course the deal where they took on money in with the Morris and Barton deals. So that, I thought they did a good job using their financial flexibility, maximizing it. I would have loved for them to have added a forward-sized guy. You know, that's something, especially a, a three. That'd be something yeah. for the Wizards, but well, those Will guys Barton weren't is available. more of a three than they had before. <laughs> true. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. And so, yeah, and but even with like the mid-level and but right is a good part to have in the mix and so i don't think they could have gotten a better player for the non-taxpayer like so even if he's not the ideal kind of position slash role for me he's close enough and so i'm not going to downgrade them i am going to downgrade them for johnny davis i thought he looked like it was the first time i'd really seen him watch a little bit of film ancillar like kind of incidentally in our draft stuff and i i just didn't think that he i didn't think he had the juice for where he was taken we will of course get a lot more information on that but if Jalen Williams in particular or Durin yeah, really look even good. Usman Jang, I think is the theory. someone who yeah makes sense. Uh, whereas they, you know, we've talked about uh, picks uh, in the past just not making sense for what the guy's NBA role is going to be. And it's a little harder to say that about a two guard, but a guy who doesn't project as an elite three point shooter, he'll defend some, but not necessarily an elite defensive player. And a guy who kind of just thrived to the extent that he did with poor efficiency in college by just kind of putting his head down determined scoring overpowering people which he just doesn't have the athleticism to do at the nba level so yeah i mean considering you know duran okay they've got porzingis they've got daniel gafford i understand maybe why you wouldn't have taken him but yeah i mean i think jang and jalen williams in particular again you now jalen williams wasn't being talked about that high for a long time but man did he look good uh in summer league and we'll see maybe there's a way for davis to succeed still but i think he's going to need to substantially change his game to do so and you you don't really want to take someone at number 10 like that 
we will also in the regrades, like as a part of this offseason, consider what happens with Rui Hashimura, who is extension eligible right now, but he has not agreed to one. And then Kristaps Porzingis has a player option for 23-24 that he could opt out of and he could theoretically sign an extension. I don't my instinct is that's not going to happen. I think that both sides want to learn a little bit more about where this team is before committing. Maybe Porzingis would lock up the money if, if it gets offered. But and I guess they could figure they could have a resolution with Kuzma, but that also can wait. Great. D it I D mean, minus baby. Ooh. Yeah. I think I'm going to give them a little bit more latitude with Davis. And for me, like the because, you know, because we both graded the Beal part of this about the same. And then I really liked the Denver trade for Washington's perspective. So I I, I guess the so I'm still going to stay with the D of the kind of the bigger picture thing instead of instead of identifying the moves in isolation and evaluating them is just I hate the direction. You know, the the idea that they're just I mean, it's not a new one for the Wizards, but the idea that the longer it takes the longer you stay where they are the the later the next great wizards team will be and that's frustrating yeah. the, they upgraded the car to drive in the wrong direction man so many great analogies okay let's move on now here to the toronto raptors much more subdued off season for them uh brought back chris boucher three years 35 million kind of a third big salary that seems about right thad young two years six 16 million, 1 million guaranteed in the second year, uh, and really cost them nothing to bring both of those guys back because they had bird rights on them, but they weren't going to be a cap space team regardless. Really, the only significant signing from outside the organization was Otto Porter. Two years, 12.3 with a player option. You know, I, I think there just were few players available with his skill set. I am concerned about his durability. If they get the Otto Porter from the first half of the year, this is a great signing. The guy from the second half of the year, uh, maybe not, but he's at least going to get guarded on the perimeter they needed someone like that and you know porter can't really defend in space the way some of the other guys can he's really and he's basically a, a four but he rebounds better than you think and is a smart help defender so in terms of who is again this is their mid-level they're not going into the tax or anything i think probably the best player that was available for that amount so i and then the only thing they did in the draft was the christian coloco remember they moved down from 20 which became Branham. Malachi Branham. And then they uh, picked up number 33 from the Spurs to, to get Coloco. And Coloco uh, was a guy who I thought looked really, really good defensively in summer league. So it didn't have a ton of opportunities. I guess where you might want to pick up on is just what is the road not traveled for them on the trade market? Like I, I absent that, I would go C plus, but obviously there's more they maybe could have done, more that they maybe will do. The status quo like kind of staying this path for the Raptors is a is a real choice by Masai Ujiri. It is a justifiable choice considering how well the Raptors have played when they've been healthy over the last couple of years. And when you consider that the reality is probably that trading away some of their key players would not be enough to maximize their draft equity. It could it could help. But, you know, unless you're going to really, really tear this down, you know, trading like Ananobi, Van Vliet and Siakam, at least two of those three to really realize the draft pick benefits of this. Now, you could still be selling somewhat high on those players. Ananobi has this year and next year and then a player option. So that actually gives the Raptors a lot less team control. Van Vliet has a player option for 23-24. He is extension eligible at either. So for right now, you could do it. But then if he opted out, then you could do it in season. So, of course, that will factor in eventually as well. So... 
I think that, you know, we don't know exactly what the offers were for Ananobi. It seems like they were at least pretty strong or positioning was that way. Never heard anything about Van Vliet, but he's a damn good player. So you could go there. And then Siakam murmurs every once in a while. We don't know what in the world's going on with their negotiations, if any, on Kevin Durant. I've expressed before my reluctance to kind of stay on the path that Masai Ujiri and ownership has chosen to take because of the idea that they're a good team, a respected team and you know it wasn't that far to get from here to when they won the championship in 19 but there are very rarely Kawhi Leonard's available and there are very rarely Kawhi Leonard's available for the kind of assets and I mean I thought the Spurs played or the Spurs received very little for him in the form of DeRozan and Jakob the pick that became Jakob Pertle and everything else so I I still have my skepticism there but I also think that if you were to change course this is not necessarily the right time to do it a because you want to see what they do this year and b because you do have enough kind of control over this that you can do it later if you really want to. Yeah, you know, the idea of making trades for some of the veterans on the roster is out there. And then obviously the possibility of trading for Kevin Durant as well. And I've said this, that if I could get Kevin Durant and I knew that he was okay with coming to to Toronto, I would actually trade Scotty Barnes for him. I know that's going to be an unpopular opinion. I know I'm lower on Barnes than many. And now I wouldn't put in anything else. But I was just like essentially salary filler and uh, Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant. I would do that because I think that makes you maybe the championship favorite. Uh, certainly a a bona fide championship contender for the next two years potentially. And you know you still have the issue of Van Vliet and and Trent having player options. But I mean, man, I think that would just be an absolute monster team if they could get KD. If I knew that he wanted to go there, now maybe that's just not realistic. In any event. I we'll see what Scotty Barnes becomes. You know, I don't project that Scotty Barnes is going to be an All NBA player. You know, he might be a a lower end All Star. Would be kind of my thought of not necessarily his ceiling, but maybe even like a good outcome for him, at least as far as I'm concerned. And that player for a chance at a championship, and for Kevin Durant, you know, I I would probably predict that Kevin Durant will have more All NBA appearances for the rest of his career than Scotty Barnes would. Although obviously that's reductive because you get Scotty Barnes for a long time. So. I think well, that's a so, more so minority for, opinion. Yeah. For me, the the more salient question in that vein is do you think let's say theoretically it were Barnes. Barnes for Durant as the as the primary, you would have to add in other players to, to match the salary, including potentially Gary Trent and a couple other different ways it yeah, could go. Yeah, I guess Trent would, would have to be in the, be in the trade. Do you think that the the iteration that we would see then of the Raptors, would they be a championship favorite? Would they be top tier? Because if you're giving that up and you're and anything below i would say if you're anything below clear championship quality so like maybe tier one but not your own tier i think it's a little bit dicey i mean siakam van vliet ananobi kd and a bunch of long role players plus you would still have all your picks going forward to trade for more as well if you wanted to uh yeah i i mean i i think that's good that's a good enough shot you know that i think that's somewhat comparable to the team they had in 2019 so all right so so my grade was a c plus you know for now and let's see you know we may just have more information about the kd sweepstakes at this time next year when we do our regrades what do you have b minus okay all right seems like we're on the same page there 
I, I'm pretty confident that we would be on at least similar pages with the Philadelphia 76ers who retained James Harden, but Harden gave them the latitude by taking less money for this year with a second year player option to use their full, use the non-taxpayer mid-level, which they used on PJ Tucker, biannual on Daniel House, also kept Shake Milton, signed Traveling Queen, but that's partially guaranteed, and gave up the 23 pick plus injured Danny Green for DeAnthony Melton from the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, and I think to not give up anyone who would be in their rotation this year, and I mean, their big problem was they had, what, four and a half guys who could play in the playoffs, and now they have their big four, and now you've got three more guys who, who fit there. I think House, despite the fact that James Harden was pretty pissed off to him, rightfully so, after his shenanigans in the bubble uh, it seems to be patched up enough and i think it's great value to get him for the biannual and you know, i thought defensively he really really took a step forward in utah probably should have played more i think that you know, we'll talk about this with brooklyn but I, I think they actually would have been better off just signing uh house for the tax pyramid level rather than giving up a first to get royce o'neill who i think isn't as good as him anymore and then tucker obviously just gives them exactly what they need in theory now hey it may not work like he's he's not a perfect player particularly at age 37 even though he may have just had his best year you know he could break down he could finally lose enough athleticism that it just doesn't work for him defending on the perimeter anymore but they desperately needed someone who could take on that role and he's you know he at least can stand in the corner he's familiar with Harden as well he can space the floor and it just and then Melton comes in as a third guard can help juice their transition game defensively help them create some turnovers just make them a little harder to play against right well, and, like, other than and, Joel Embiid and also also, Melton, in some ways, he accomplishes the, some of the theory ideas with Matisse Thibel, but he's so much better on the other side of the ball that you can actually play it. So Melton isn't the defender that Thibel is, though I think he's underappreciated on that end. But he can actually, you know, he can shoot a little bit. He can move the ball in transition and teams will actually guard him. So you need those players. And I mean, that to me is the biggest takeaway from this from this offseason. That's why I'm giving Daryl Morey a straight A is the Sixers had to add players who were viable in the rotation for the playoffs. And they had very limited means to do so. And some of that was convincing Harden take less. How, how much convincing yeah. that took, we, we won't know, probably ever, unless the tampering investigation gets really specific with its results. But using the pick for Melton getting house getting pj as you said some of them some of those rolls of the dice aren't going to work out but they're better rolls of the dice than i expected them to get and it considering they had they they you know they had eventually the non-taxpayer the biannual and then the 23rd pick in the draft it's hard to it's hard to put together an offseason that that nets you a better potential potential outcome for those resources than what they got. No, that's I mean, you if you wanted to draw a circle on the guy to change teams that you would have wanted, it was PJ Tucker. And you know, outside of Jalen Brunson, probably the best player to change teams. And then House was another. I mean, they just desperately needed three and D players so they could have a real team that made sense. They just didn't have these guys who were total liabilities on either end and they accomplished that so uh, i think and you know, i'm not gonna say that i'm putting them as the favorite in these but i think they're a credible threat now i did not really consider them a credible threat before and now they are and they didn't do much in terms of long-term future well, they deserve a ton of credit for getting hardened to do what he did in theory although we'll, we'll talk slightly more about that i think before we're done with them we will and also super important with pj tucker hearkening back to a previous pj tucker transaction you kept him away 
away from the other teams in your conference. Mm-hmm. Like so, now Miami doesn't have PJ Tucker. <laughs> we'll get into their offseason review, and the Bucks don't have him. Some of the other teams you could theoretically face in the conference finals or the NBA finals didn't get Tucker in. There's a chance that, that contract really doesn't work out in the long run, and giving him, you know, giving him that player option the last year, I don't think that matters too much. The other really important wrinkle of Philly's offseason is like I don't think they're going to need to pivot off of this, but it's not that bad. Like Melton has a partial guarantee for the following season. Tucker, it is that three-year deal, so it's a lot for somebody as old as he is. And then House player option after next year. So I mean, and if and if he if things are bad enough that he opts in, but you don't want him, then that you can find a find a home from there. The biggest kind of long-term negative value con- consequence here for them is the amount of leverage that they potentially gave to James Harden in terms of a future contract. He can't negotiate that. He's, Harden is not extension eligible and will not be because of the contract that he signed and how that all happened. But and that's of course a totally will worthy sacrifice for the Sixers. He now more on a personal level than on a factual kind of level. Like he gains leverage with them because hey, I took less. Now you have to make me whole. If that was a firm enough agreement that it can be that he can try to like hold them to it, then of course that could be the subject of this investigation. If it's more of a general understanding, it could lead to a grotesque contract for the Sixers down the line. And that counts. Yeah. Well, it could also lead to the hilarity of 47-year-old James Harden signing again in Philly for the minimum uh <laughs> but and also you know if they lose three first round draft picks in this investigation you know that that it might not be a great offseason but like you i went for the a the magic did little in terms of outside the organization other than making two draft picks number one paulo bancaro number 32 caleb houston and then in terms of their cap space they ended up bringing back three players with similar structures in terms of their contract right gary harris mo bamba and bull bull yes bull bull all signed two-year contracts where the second year is non-guaranteed and the difference between a non-guarantee and a team option is extremely important in this specific case because that makes Harris, Bamba, and Bull all trade eligible. And and technically, Gary Harris was an extension, but it's within the, you know, ext- it's within the extended trade parameters and all that type of stuff. So that means that whether it's getting out of some or all of those contracts to become a player in the 23 free agent market, whether it is to trade them now or later for assets, the Magic didn't sacrifice anything in terms of long-term flexibility. What they did sacrifice was they theoretically could have wielded some cap space this year. Don't know who in the hell they would have gotten. They also, I mean, they could still technically use the middle level. Like they, they are still far. They're barely, I mean, they're barely over the cap as as incredible as that sounds. So the opportunity cost for the magic of doing this was really this versus cap space and cap space and and cap space didn't get you anything. I think I would rather have just uh, done this, particularly with Harris. I think he could be, they needed a vet number one and number two, he could be a, a guy who they could pull right. in the on and trade him here too right and so you can trade them without their consent because the player doesn't lose bird rights in this circumstance so and and two years 20 million for bomba not my favorite but you get out of it after one year if it doesn't work out and if you need to keep him around bull was surprising just because he got a fully guaranteed contract and so is he going to get a spot over some of the other guys on this magic team but that's you know we're getting into pretty slim pickings there but for me the thing so in terms of that overall approach on board i think that it was it was reasonable there was 
this hope that cap space was going to be valuable in 22. It was not. So moving away from that, creating potential trade value, getting players who you have control beyond this year. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. The other huge wrinkle there was, you know, cap space. It doesn't have to be used on free agents, but there were not any desperate cap clearing trades this year either. So the path yeah. not traveled in terms of leveraging, you know, getting, you know, being a facilitator and getting Iguodala in a first round pick. Nope, none of that was available this year. So the Magic, Weltman and Hammond didn't lose anything there. So yeah, I, I thought that worked out well. And then, um, so the big, but the biggest decision that will affect this moving now and moving forward is taking Paolo Bancaro first overall. I would say preliminarily, I am positive there. I had him first on my board. I had him in tier one and he looked good in summer league. So, you know, it's I, I'm not going to give, you know, full marks. They hit it out of the park yet because we have to see how these players work out. But preliminarily, I'm positive on it. Yeah. I mean, he was the guy I had. I, you know, realistically been in that position. You know, I did have Sharp first on my board, but the, no one was ever going to take Sharp number one. And uh, Bancaro is the guy for me, clearly uh, among those top three they were deciding on. They got to the, despite what seemed like a weird roundabout process where they kept it all secret for no real reason, they did uh, eventually get to Bancaro. And then Caleb Houston, I think he he at least makes sense uh, as a possible shooter with size. You know, he's going to actually have to make the ball go in, which is a, a slight problem, but a, a guy who had a lot of profile, has NBA size and athleticism, and hopefully a shooting touch and- at, at number three. And, and also the Magic, this isn't as much a priority. You pick the player, but the Magic don't really have that many guys like him in the youth version of the pipeline. Like, yeah, maybe they could have right. gone after somebody like Kennedy Chandler, who, who yeah, intrigued they, me. They, uh, are you talking about Houston or... or uh... Caleb, well, both, actually. But oh, I was yeah, yeah. in the context of Caleb Houston. And so the, you know, so like they could, there we'll see how the other guys in that range go, but he is more distinct from what they had. And so if you're kind of choosing on the margins and it can be, it's a pretty rare combination of of like size and you know potential shooting ability and then with paulo it's it's kind of that idea of that he could yeah. if you t- it's i'm best prospect available not no 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 ifs ands or buts about it at number one but part of what makes it even sweeter for me for orlando is that if it works out he gives them something that they desperately needed and that will be hard to get and otherwise and this does not foreclose i don't think the magic i think they could be better this year but it doesn't foreclose on them getting a really good guard next year in the future if that's the player that's available when you pick yeah with all the high draft picks they've had since the dwight howard trade i would say bankero is the first of all of them who really projects as a an on-ball star i mean oladipo eventually got there but that was iterations later in his career and really he was only that guy for one year uh, in indiana before the injuries i ended up with a b plus for these guys a minus the knicks man did they have a weird offseason they did a lot of things i thought were good they did a lot of things that didn't make sense really hardly at all of course this is all pending the donovan mitchell trade i mean i guess that's gonna get done i'm guessing it'll be at a price that seems fair ish but you know we just don't know on that one so i I think we just have to kind of assume that that trade is going to happen in some respect but we just don't know when and i I, but i think and we don't know what the price will be i'm not i'm just gonna assume it's kind of like you know an average price about what we expect it to be but i do think i also want to evaluate their other moves in the context of possibly adding Donovan Mitchell to this team as well. So where do you want to start with these guys? I think I want to start with the weirdness of 
of their draft and draft adjacent stuff as both as a table setter for Jalen Brunson, but also just because it helps demonstrate how strange this Knicks offseason was. So they have the number 11 selection and then they acquire the number 13 selection. So they, you know, basically, basically they, they have 11, they trade it for three protected for, for three protected first, all of which I think of as not fully hollow, but a little bit hollow because they're all like the best parts of those picks are carved out because they're all, you know, in the range of lottery protected. Then they move back into the lottery. They get that 13th pick from Charlotte for a, for a protected first in 23 and then four future seconds. Some of those, I'm trying to remember exactly what those seconds are. I think some of them were a little bit juicy, but not like completely ridiculous or anything like that. Um, so you, so you have all of that. Then they trade 13. So they acquire it within this window on June 23rd. And then they trade it along with basically with Kemba Walker for that bucks pick, which is terrible value. But if you're going to add in the stuff with Alec, the later trade they made with the Pistons, which may or may not be fair, where they gave up Burks, Noel, a couple of seconds to get off those guys. Like that's great value for them. So from the Knicks perspective, it sort of reminds me a little bit of, we talked about in 21, where some of the arbitrage was quite good, but the eventual outcome wasn't as uh, wasn't as positive because I think they could have done better overall. Like I mean, Jalen Duran or somebody, you know, whoever ends up being best in the eleven to thirteen range could have really helped them. Yeah, I, I think so, and <clears throat> I think this trade probably did help them as far as being able to trade for Donovan Mitchell. That was the idea of kicking the can down the road, getting these three assets. Those assets can be broken up more easily than the number. 11 pick could be uh i mean none of those picks are going to be as good as the number 11 pick in almost all likelihood and also the having to move off of burks and noel like the price for that wasn't too bad only the two second rounders and it did seem like they kind of overpaid in trading that 13 for that 2025 20, bucks first rounder kemba walker but that's another pick that goes out into the future that they can use uh so i'm uh and and of course they got the number 13 pick uh, with the giving up all those seconds that they had gotten previously and that uh 2025 bucks first rounder as well so i i mean i think all, all of that was good i think you know just taking usman jang hostage knowing that okc really needed him they got a very pretty penny to move off him in pursuit of their goal of potentially trading for a star and and the mitchell trade is so much more possible today i would say than if they had just used that number 11 pick on jang now maybe jalen williams would have been better we're probably maybe maybe going a little too heavy on Jalen Williams because he had a good summer league so I'm going to try not to do that too much uh and of course only one team could have actually and also Williams was only available with 11 he wasn't available with 13 which they because there's a road not traveled with 13 and Duran or somebody else like that but that doesn't include Jalen Williams yeah and they have plenty of centers you know I I don't know that Duran is like a future superstar yeah or or like you know Tari Eason or whoever we like best that was in that range we'll just have to see yeah so so I think uh, overall all the draft pick stuff I, I think was pretty good but i just didn't understand the brunson signing uh, i mean i understand it i know why they did it but i think the fact that no one is making leon rose recuse himself here and instead they're like oh we're gonna hire rick brunson his dad and tom thibodeau loves Jalen brunson as well it's just like yeah okay you know it, it, and i don't even think that the contract that they gave him is that terrible yeah, and, and, espe- they, and especially 
considering Brunson's contract is front-loaded. So Brunson being front-loaded did not prevent the Knicks from doing their other business or paying the tax. So if you think about it after this year, something Keith Smith and I talked about on Real GM Radio last week, after this year, you could think about it as a two-year $51.3 million deal with a $25 million player option. Like That looks pretty good, you know, like especially if the if salaries go where we think they're going to go. Like it is an it is a very reasonable contract. Now, the the other weirdest element of the Jalen Brunson part of it is I personally don't like the Brunson Mitchell fit. I think he no, was the best. I, I didn't like the Brunson fit even before they sure. were going to get Mitchell. And now it's now I think it's really weird. I hate the Brunson Randall fit. I mean, and you could say that Julius Randall just shouldn't be the organizational centerpiece when you consider how bad last year went. But yeah. I, I mean, a lot if they just get like a normal three and D combo forward, all of a sudden a, a lot of this looks a little bit better. So maybe maybe that is another move that will happen at some well, point. And then the other part that makes this Knicks offseason so bizarre is that they simultaneously signed the I would say the best value of any of the high-end center contracts it's between Hartenstein and Looney just kind of depending on what you value there and also Looney a little bit different just because of the team he was negotiating with and then they give Mitchell Robinson yeah. who plays Hartenstein had a lot more suitors than Looney because he, he just fits more places right. as and, as and because Looney might have artificially lowered his value t- because he was prioritizing staying with the Warriors like it's we're not sure that he maximized in the way that Hartenstein presumably did especially because Hartenstein went to a team that gave a different player at exactly his position four years and 60 million in the form of Mitchell Robinson and that seemed a little rich right that's that's an overpay and so you 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 overpaid the player for longer and then you underpaid the player for shorter I mean underpaid they got a good value on it so there so that that generally means that you're and and Robinson as a practical consideration they also front-loaded him so if you want to think about that contract after the first year it looks a lot better but still 15 million or so a year that's that's pretty significant for somebody who hasn't said they're not an obvious like starter that you can trust especially with his availability stuff so like i i had real trouble evaluating nicks overall i'm guessing i was rosier on them but i gave them a c minus yeah i went d plus and we'll see what the price ends up being for mitchell if in fact that does happen but i i still just the brunson thing didn't make a ton of sense to me now their life is a little tough right and they both of these moves happened before these guys came in in that rj barrett he has taken some strides as a shooter and a driver but still is a tough fit playing the three you know he's a guy who needs the ball uh julius randall a tough fit playing the four especially shooting once it had regressed uh, off of that insane 21 season that he had and so maybe the ultimate version of this team moves on from both of those players in the end the rj barrett extension will be part of this potentially for sure if, as well whether it does or does not happen yeah i, I think so so but as of right now I, they may be on the path to building something and we'll see if they can a big part of the grade for mitchell will be and freddie cast has talked about this a lot so if we of the mitchell trade is how much is left in the coffers after you trade for mitchell to go trade for the next star as well and you know they basically gave up any chances of having cap space next year with this brunson move it, it just the brunson thing just doesn't make a ton of sense to me and when you see like how much nepotism is involved there you just wonder about their ability to be objective on this i think brunson is a good player i think the contract makes some sense but his fit with the guys and his fit with the guy their ultimate target in mitchell you know it, well, and, and and also you have to consider what they sacrificed to clear the space this year as opposed to next year sure because 
they gave up, you know, that was a part of what, whether or not you want to say it was a lot or a little, if you're combining the Burks Noel trades and the Kemba Walker trade, they gave up the 13th pick in the draft and two second round picks to trade contracts that are only one year long. So that means if you think holding the fort down, getting somebody else, or just, you know, like the status quo, they would have had the 13th pick in the fold here. Like they could have done it that way. And, or, you know, maybe, or maybe you don't make the trade to get the 13th pick in the first place because you're intended to send that to Troy Weaver. Entirely possible there. And so is Brunson a better player than the stuff you could have gotten, the opportunities that you would have had in 23? Also, you get another year of evaluation. Now, it's it's hard to, it's kind of, in some ways, it's hard to say because 23, I, I it doesn't look like it's going to be a great unrestricted class either. But the other part that you get there is if you and I both feel that Brunson isn't a great fit with Donovan Mitchell, you potentially get Mitchell in the fold. And I don't think Brunson's a huge part of the sales pitch there of like, oh, that, that's going to be the reason Donovan Mitchell is good to go to the Knicks. Like we know there's a lot, there's, there's been smoke there for a while. And so you get to the point of is Brunson better or theoretically what you can do with Brunson at that juncture as a trade piece or whatever else. And that's possible too. Like we, we shouldn't discount that Brunson like might be important salary filler in the eventual next second star trade because at that point let's say that happens my Fred, Fred Katz and I did a thing about that happening in 24 then at that juncture Brunson's making 25 mil so that could work all right so in, in summary I had a d plus and you had a c minus correct Milwaukee? Oh boy. Well, oh boy. Okay. I'll let you add it then. I would describe this Bucks offseason kind of how it made me feel as similar to the 21 offseason where we wondered if they were being cheap. And then it was, no, they're using their money. They're just using their money in an altogether different way. And here's how they did it in 22. They re-signed Bobby Portis four years, 48.6 million with a fourth year player option. Um, he declined his option, went in. Connaughton picked up his option, but then got a three-year, $28 million extension. Final year of that is also a player option. Then they use the taxpayer mid-level and use it on Joe Ingles, who is currently injured, which is wild. We'll get into that. Then they retained Javon Carter, retained Wes Matthews on a one-year minimum, retained Serge Ibaka on a one-year minimum, used the 24th overall pick on Marjan Bochamp, and we talked about him extensively in the Summer League thing, and we'll We'll get to how that how that works in here. And so for me, the framing for the Milwaukee Bucks, a team that is a recent champion and is a tier one championship team for me, is you had these resources. And for the Bucks, it was different because some of it was bird rights. And having Bobby Portis, having bird rights on Bobby Portis, having, you know, bird rights slash extension negotiation rights on Pat Connaughton, those are preceding factors. It's not like they had cap space. They spent a ton of money both this year, including the tax, and moving forward on players that I do not consider a part of a viable closing five for a playoff team yeah I, I think that that all makes sense uh, and you know Portis and Connaughton I think we can almost count their contracts now as part of last season's offseason grade like they clearly got the wink wink and it, we talked about that how really I think the the Bucks and the Clippers with some of the moves that they've made uh, have definitely been more guilty of circumvention than some of the stuff that's actually been investigated 
edited it and been in the news uh, but and Connaughton's an important piece but he is older uh it's still you know you expect him to hopefully maintain his value as a backup forward but and he's improved his shooting but you wonder whether defensively he's going to be able to hold up at the level that they need over the course of that three-year extension and that's not crazy money though because he he actually makes sense I, I think they just getting back to what I think they needed the most of anything I mean I think they're obviously missing Chris Middleton was huge sure but I think the biggest things and again this is my philosophy doesn't seem to be John Horse necessarily although John Horse had the evidence right in front of him of what won them that 2021 championship what their closing lineup looked like they played with defensive versatility they had literally one five-man unit that could do it but they could now they don't have a five-man unit that can be defensively versatile and that that would have been my number one priority and in signing Ingles and putting all this money into Portis which they did last year but I was critical of that last year uh they just didn't address this issue of defensive versatility and you know obviously Ingles I think this is like he can at least make shots so that's uh, one thing that they struggled to do but defensively I I you know yeah all right if you're in the right matchup he can probably play and and hold up if you got Brooke Lopez and Giannis together playing behind him and getting Wes Matthews back to the minimum was good you know there probably wasn't much competition for his services but he actually started for them and was pretty decent last year uh so and then Beauchamp a guy with some athleticism in theory I thought his shot actually looked better than expected in summer league but he didn't have the level of athletic at or athleticism sure it worked elite athleticism <laughs> that I was hoping to see from him uh, as a defender so I'm not sure that he really has this crazy high upside as a defender but at 24 I mean if he can play it all you're you're good there uh but we'll give them a slight bit of credit for actually not bringing Hugo Besson onto the roster at number 58 just to save tax money in fact again you mentioned the the money like this team is right now 26 million into the tax 66 million dollar luxury tax payment and they took on plenty of money here I mean they they're paying Portis a lot more they have the Grayson Allen extension kicking in they still have George Hill on this team making four million and then they also used the full mini mid-level on Ingles and nonetheless uh you know i don't think they really got much better i don't think they really addressed hardly any of their needs despite being even more expensive this year than they were a year ago so i, 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 I i'll, I'll embrace all that but i'm going to add in another important element here with it which okay. is age and that is so yeah pat like, Con- like what are they going to do about brooke lopez pat, no? pat Connaughton, the this extension covers his age 31 through 33 seasons bobby portis this is 27 through 31 so a player who yeah. you don't expect to get much better and maybe by the end of it he'll be getting worse but you also don't and, and Joe Ingles, beyond beyond the whole him being injured thing, Joe Ingles is currently 34. He'll turn 35 before the start of next season, which he will not be healthy enough to play in. And he looked, to me, the more important part about Ingles is that if you were getting age 32, age 31, Joe Ingles, who had enough defensively, I think that what Ingles brings offensively would have been great for the Bucks. But he looked pretty toasty-toast to me toward before he got hurt with the Jazz last year and it's the you know like this came up with clay thompson it's like the passage of time is important here too you're not even getting age 34 joe ingles when he gets back you're gonna be he's gonna be older than that and passing shooting 
general age as well, but he needs to be viable defensively in order to make all this work. And they also got no, any semblance of team equity. Like we thought Joe Ingles was going to sign a minimum contract. And from the Bucks perspective, why don't you get a non-guarantee or a team option on a second year if you're going to pay him that much money? So in case it works out super well, you can do something like that and actually have control. They'll have sufficient non-bird rights to do it. But if you're giving a guy a lot more than it seems like anybody else was going to, try to get something for it because you totally can. Yeah, and I would say the Bucks in particular, we don't know what TJ Warren's health status is. It can't be good. But I, Joe Ingles, we know his health status isn't any good either. And TJ Warren is actually, in theory, what they needed. And so I, I would have just used the full mid-level for one year on TJ Warren rather than Joe Ingles. And Warren only got one year at the minimum from Brooklyn. I mean, unless he just like desperately wanted to be in Brooklyn rather than Milwaukee. I mean, you'd think that, uh, you know, paying him $5 million more than what he got in Brooklyn would, <laughs> would have been persuasive. So yeah, I, uh, I wanted the D here. D minus. The Heat, really, they re-signed Caleb Martin, Victor Oladipo, player options, pretty reasonable deals. Dwayne Dedman, reasonable deal as well. What it really comes down to here is your evaluation of the P.J. Tucker deal. And so I'll, I'll take us through some of the competing considerations there. They could have offered P.J. Tucker the exact same contract that he got with Philly. Three years, $33 million with a player option after he opted out of his $7 million player option. That offer was not made almost certainly because doing so would have hard capped them, might have prevented them from... Uh, the, they would not have been able to retain Caleb Martin had they done that uh, because or they would have had at least not at least not on the dealy side no no uh martin they they paid him the most that they could with the tax pyramid level and, and oladipo they would have been hard capped I, I have to do the math on exactly what it been if they had also brought back tucker they probably could have done it but they would have had to lose martin maybe they would have had to pay deadman less as well but then they also would have been hard capped had they done that um and they're trying to make a big trade here the kd thing donovan mitchell they're hoping to get in he, kd wants to be in miami did they miscalculate in prioritizing that flexibility and losing Tucker? It's somewhat similar situation to what we saw with Jay Crowder two years ago. And this Miami team is extremely reliant on having that defensive stretch for, not that Tucker gives them a ton of stretch, but he gave them enough, but that defensive stretch for who can switch and hit shots capably enough. When they've had that guy, they went to the finals and the East finals. When they didn't have that guy, there's some other factors as well. They got blown out in the first round in one of the worst losses that we've ever seen in a first round series so they need that guy they don't have him Caleb Martin I don't think is him he just doesn't have the size maybe he can become a, a good enough shooter they're probably gonna have to find that guy from outside the organization I think if they want to contend they've clearly taken a step back so far and now if they can make a trade to get Donovan Mitchell or KD or somebody else then I take it back and it was worth it but I think they may have overestimated their the value of their trade assets and what they might be able to accomplish like they don't have the best package for KD or a good enough one at this point in time unless kd like really starts to agitate his way out of town and they aren't gonna be able to beat the mix for for donovan mitchell either it looks like and so maybe there's some other trade that's gonna be out there at some point this season it also seems like maybe with tucker they didn't offer a third year initially even using his non-bird rights which would have ended up being in the three-year 27 million range it's unclear whether they may have offered that three-year deal but we've seen tucker is kind of prickly about that he wants to be respected and maybe he was always 
just gone to Philly, even if they had matched it, we don't know the answer to that. Uh, and maybe they were concerned about the third year. Maybe they'll be right to be concerned about the third year, but they always seem to be able to get out of contracts anyway. So do. as of right now, I mean, they're a clearly worse team. They didn't bring in anyone outside the organization other than Nikola Jovic at number 27, who I'm not particularly enthused by. So anything you want to add to that? I mean, it seems like it has to be well, a, a great on the negative side here. It, it does. And so I give them a D plus and it's not only that they didn't fill that role, it's that Miami got worse and the timeline for them is immediately. Jimmy Butler was just unbelievable yeah. in the 21-22 playoffs. Bam Adebayo's a really good player. We don't know what they're going to get from Kyle Lowry the next couple of years, but you you have him under contract. They and, and like you said, the bet that they made to that they're going to like to, to retain that flexibility. Miami retaining flexibility has generally worked out well for them. But Duncan Robinson and some of their draft picks and Tyler Hero, who's extension eligible, which will factor into our eventual regrades, is it's not the best package. And if, especially if we're talking about a superstar or a perceived superstar, like it's it probably gets you in the room, but it never is the best deal. And and those players don't have no trade clauses. They you know it, the Jazz owe it to themselves to put Don to to get the best offer they can for Mitchell. The Nets, if they even want to make a deal, it's the same thing with Kevin Durant. And so there, Miami is doing that. And the other frustration for me, and part of why this is a D plus and not something like more in the C range, is because there there aren't that many like kind of fallbacks like there aren't there aren't that many other things it's kind of like you can do one or two big swings and maybe another player shakes loose over the next eight months but you're a worse team now you don't have that many different opportunities to do so and you also like part of maintaining that hard cap stuff like remember originally the victor Oladipo deal was reported as a one year as a one-year deal but then became a two-year deal with a player option sort of Connaughton-esque but except Connaughton's it was because they screwed up from what we can tell from a CBA perspective. This was more they needed to pay him a little bit less to make all this work. And so they gave a, a, a pretty lucrative player option if Oladipo doesn't have a great year. Yeah. Well, they're not hard capped right now, as it as it turned out, but they are they don't uh, want we'll, to be. We'll see. It's it's kind of six and one half dozen the other to to me on, on Oladipo. But uh yeah, I guess it would have been better to have well well, so yeah, I mean it's a player option, so he can block a trade regardless right. of even if it had been a one-year deal. But yeah, I think you know, perhaps the Heat kind of miscalculated in the sense that you know the tucker thing i'm sure was done probably before the draft and maybe the heat miscalculated in you know the knicks having this amazing offer now that they got these three extra first round picks and they miscalculated in the Rudy Gobert trade, inflating the market even further for stars. And so they thought it would be more realistic to trade for a star than it is. And I think that's an understandable mistake if that turned out to be the case. But uh, it, at least as of now, looks to have been a mistake. Uh, I went with a D for these guys. And are we going to agree that at least of the teams we've discussed so far, Miami has the highest potential variance for a regrade because we will know so much more? Well, the Knicks would have to be in there. Sure. The yeah, that's true. Um, let's get to the Indiana Pacers now. What did they do this offseason? The Indiana Pacers traded Malcolm Brogdon to the Boston Celtics for Boston's 23 first rounder, top 12 protected. And if it's that high, then it becomes a second. Plus Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, and a bunch of then guaranteed contracts that they eventually had to wave and stretch for something we'll talk about in a second. The Pacers walked in with the sixth pick and drafted Ben Matherin out of Arizona. They also took Andrew Nemhard, 31 
and Kendall Brown out of Baylor 48, which they acquired that 48 pick for a future second in cash. They retained Jalen Smith three years, 15 million. They sacrificed Stauskas, Morgan, Fitz, and then Dwayne Washington was on a non-guarantee to clear the wiggle room to sign DeAndre into an offer sheet that was matched 15 minutes later, or roughly that, by the Phoenix Suns. And as we're recording this podcast, they basically haven't used that flexibility to to do anything yet. So that, of course, is a big unanswered question for the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I guess the, starting with the Brogdon deal, it, I think a lot of people were surprised that, oh, uh, the, they got a little back. That deal to me was a tipping, kit, I'm sorry, a ticking time bomb. And given Brogdon's injury history, his age, and the fact that he they had just extended him and put two more years on at a a pretty big number it seems pretty clear that nobody wanted to bring him in to be a starter and give up significant assets to do so he's being talked about maybe in new york or washington well that that just wasn't going to happen with picks in the range of those teams and yeah they did have to take back tice who is not a great contract at nine million for another couple of years but i i still think they did fine to get that celtics pick and yeah it doesn't have a ton of upside the celtics are probably gonna be pretty good that pick's likely gonna be in the late 20s maybe yeah i mean 30 overall but we 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 make the general assumption that general managers maximize the value of like they got the best possible return of what was available it is possible that they prioritize do you think danny ainge really maximized his return on rudy gobert you sure you sure (laughs) i'm I'm not sure (laughs) but so the but so really what the question becomes with brogdon it's not about did they get the best possible thing and also because we almost never hear those other offers now in certain circumstances like the spurs with Kyle Leonard, which I invoked earlier, that's a little bit different. But what it then becomes is, was this the right time to trade Brogdon? Could you have gotten more for him at the 23 deadline or the 23 offseason when he will still be under contract? Well, well, they also just like kind of needed to get rid of him just for their team. Exactly. No. So my, my answer is there is a possibility that they could have gotten more. But the downside of another Malcolm Brogdon injury just completely nuking things was very present. And trading him helped clarify the backcourt rotation, which I think is important for the Pacers. We They, they still have Miles Turner as of right now. They still have Buddy Heald. It's still a kind of a, a weird hybrid approach for them where they have some players who are helping them right now who could potentially you get something for, and that will change the evaluation in time. But now the keys are firmly in Tyrese Halberton's hands. They also have Matherin, who looked very good in Summer League. And yeah. over over the next couple of years, we will invariably be comparing Jaden Ivey, who the Pacers did not have the opportunity to take, but Ivy, Matherin, and Shaden Sharp, who went all went one after the other of who's the right pick, who was going to be there. But Matherin looked great. Like, the early returns are very positive. So we'll see what happens with Shaden Sharp over time. And, you know, that could potentially shift this grid around. But Matherin did everything right. I continue to not like the Andrew Nampard pick, both in terms of the theory of it and him in actuality. But that's at 31. And I like Kendall Brown pretty well at 48. Yeah, but Brown, they traded a future second in cash to get him at 48. And bringing back Jalen Smith on $5 million a year, eh, you know, that was basically the most they could have paid him over that five-year period. We, we don't and need to go through it, but the current roster of the Pacers is just completely bananas. They have... Yeah, I mean, the, you, know, you're, you don't think that like having 97 shooting guards and 97 centers and one point guard and, and zero no regular forwards makes any sense at all 
It's a little bit bizarre. Yeah, I, I guess O'Shea Brissett counts. Brissett and Neesmith, baby. But I guess he's a two. Neesmith is a, is a shooting guard. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's probably most equipped to guard the three of anyone on the team, but he'll have a chance to do yeah. that. So, and and so we don't know. I, like, I do like, have And no we don't know idea, what in the like, world TJ Warren, like, it, it, you know, like, could they have brought him back? Yeah. I, I mean, he wanted that, to leave. They, they, I think, I mean, maybe they were just holding on to this space for, because they knew they were going to do this Aiden thing. But the Aiden thing, why not at least give him the player option and the trade bonus? bonus and uh i mean i know why they didn't give him the 50 percent of his contract before october 1st because uh you know they just don't want to do that from a revenue standpoint but yeah i mean give yourself a chance of not getting matched at least right if you really want the guy and, and i guess it made sense to go after him it was, it was kind of surprising I mean, maybe they just this was just a favor to bill duffy and everyone always knew that the suns were going to match anyway and, and the sacrifice not, for not. the pacers was pretty small i mean stauskas morgan and yeah. fitz well well they could have they could have brought back warren and tried to rehabilitate him and trade him but i guess that gets back to because they have no threes on this team but it just gets back to like some of the moves made sense in isolation but like they seem like they're too good to really be at the top of the draft again like maybe they'll be fighting for the bottom of the play in what are they doing with healed and turner they're two veterans and and you know this is a t- they have some good like veteran players who are starters or backups like mcconnell as well so and duarte's already 25 so are they just trying to be like around like the ninth seed again and and like really be competitive this year are they just hoping that Halliburton turns into an all-star and now we're gonna build around him like he's still as a foundational piece Halliburton and I guess Matherin at this point don't look like I you know future high-end guys who are gonna be the foundation of a playoff team so more has to happen here still so I'm not sure that there's quite an overall direction here like they did tank last year uh you know this turner trade and heel trade maybe that happens you know if they could do that deal for westbrook and get both those lakers first round picks that would be pretty useful maybe they'd give up a, a couple of other role players to to help out the lakers as well in that deal you know o'shea percent might start for the lakers um so yeah i i'm i don't know where these guys are going i, I guess though the mathroom pick was pretty good we'll see whether he or sharp is better i would have gone sharp because i thought he had higher upside but obviously that remains to be seen could easily be wrong there so i I ended up going with a B minus, but I'm still kind of flummoxed about what the plan is, what's going on with this group. I went with a B plus because the most important things for the Pacers were successful. I, I, I like the Mathurin pick. I like the, what them deciding to trade Brogdon and what they got for him is is reasonable. So you you start there, and I think those things are good. And I agree with you that the direction is a little bit weird, but they also haven't done anything to preclude themselves from making those deals in the future. Like it could happen either later this yeah. offseason or at the deadline. This isn't a circumstance where like they doubled down and they used all their cap space for a 35 year old player who's going to do that or anything like that. So I. I for me it's it's kind of a to be determined but a preliminary grade of a b plus and that you know i think the most important things are good and they didn't commit any long-term money that i thought was meaningfully negative i mean i don't love having daniel tice for 9.1 after for you know two years out and then we'll see on jalen smith but it's it's fine you know so i would say that the pacers they did reasonably well even if there's a lot that we still need to know let's go to the detroit pistons yeah they had an extremely active offseason themselves beginning with trading jeremy grant and the 46th pick 
to the Blazers for that protected Milwaukee Bucks 2025 first, which eventually wasn't another deal, 36 and a couple of seconds. And part of the reason why Troy Weaver presumably got so little for Jeremy Grant, and I think this is how I want to tie some elements together of the of the yeah. Pistons offseason. Presumably part of the reason why they got so little for him was because it opened up additional financial flexibility, which that could, there are times that that can work out extremely well. However, the way that Weaver used that additional financial flexibility was, if we want to see it all together, taking on Kemba Walker, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel for the combined return of the 13th pick, two second rounders, and some cash. But, but I think it's worth noting, and maybe you're going to get to this, but they could have just done the Walker thing to get the 13th pick without, they could have taken back salary for right. Grant and still done that. For sure. Whereas the, really what they opened up the extra space for, they opened up 20 million in space and they used that to take on Noel and Burks and get some of these seconds and some cash, which, I mean, I would have rather just gotten more for Grant. But as it turned out, the Knicks really wanted what uh, they ended up getting for Grant, which is that Bucks pick. And so that's, uh, that's what enabled them to get 13 as well so i i don't know how that all shook out there but it does seem like they maybe forewent something where that they could have taken on some salary for grant maybe they could have got two picks instead potentially but all of that in some ways puts the cart before the horse because the thing that is most important right now and moving forward for the detroit pistons is how they did with the number five pick and to a lesser extent getting and then using the number 13 pick yeah i, I mean if those guys are really good great offseason if those guys aren't that good bad offseason that is pretty reductive but yeah. that's probably as, as much as we to. will harp on the marvin bagley contract as much as we will make comments about what they could have done with jeremy grant all of that stuff is dwarfed by those two selections well and now i think a lot of people liked iv at five a lot of people like Duran at 13 i'm i still also have major concerns with some of these ancillary signings uh, particularly the Bagley one of just Troy Weaver's ability to build an actual functioning team with shooting to space the floor for Cade and for Jaden Ivey instead of Cade having to be you know they basically have two shooters right now that are going to be in their starting lineup and one of them Cade is the guy you want to have the ball all the time they own Sadiq Bay. so I'm really wondering what's going on there they don't have any kind of a traditional four on the team other than their second round pick from last year Isaiah livers who Dwayne casey is talking about starting maybe just in protest of their not being an actual four on this roster and and bring back badly bagley they have a million centers on this team uh it, it's i'm just worried again about what it says of what these guys are going to be and what their philosophy is of actually building a team that works on the floor but they still have time to do that and maybe this is a stealth tank to get another high pick next year to just give these guys no shooting whatsoever uh, around them so i i think overall i was positive on, on what they did i went with a b minus so, but so i just I. yeah and i, I think yeah. just to phrase it a different way the most important moves i think that's in the b range they're reasonable defensible but not superlative selections i like ivy i didn't have him top of my you know i didn't have him as the best player available at five i like duran you know we didn't scout him but i liked him quite a bit and i think he could be a nice fit for what they had but why it goes to the b minus range instead of a b or a b plus is because of the overall vision and the use of resources because this i mean uh, we did our all that intro before the western conference but a big part of these grades is what did you do with what you had 
And the Pistons had a ton of cap space. They had one of the more desirable trade pieces. And they walked away with some good stuff, but could they have walked away with more? And also just the weird, the the, the awkwardness of this roster, which was preventable. You know, like they didn't have to use, the, use additional resources on more guys who can't shoot, bringing in these veterans who are going to, who are going to make them better, but maybe not that much better. And who it's, I don't think you're going to be able to flip for value. Like that's a huge difference for me with what the players that the Pistons acquired versus the players that the Jazz acquired in the Gobert deal, where Patrick Beverly, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, if they want to do something with him, like they're going to get positive value for those players if they want to do something else. It's entirely possible that Burks and or Noel help the Pistons this year, but I don't think they're getting a first for either of them, much less both. And so that means you evaluate it on those merits. You're not going to get these pass on benefits later on. And so, yeah, I ended up with B minus. Yeah, we ended up in the same place. The Cavaliers, big thing they did was bringing back Darius Garland. They did get him possibly uh, for a Rose rule if he makes All-NBA, but I think they'll be happy to pay that if he does make that this year. But more importantly, no player option on his max extension that kicks in next year. They prioritized Ricky Rubio three years at the full taxpayer mid-level to bring him back. Uh, But of course, uh, he won't be ready to play until halfway through the season coming off his torn ACL suffered with the Cavs. Uh, But they really uh, liked having him around. They liked playing him some with Garland as well. Uh, They did bring in Howell Neto as a stopgap behind Rubio. He should be fine as a a backup point guard. But and that's just the minimum. Robin Lopez, they needed a third center who was better than Ed Davis. I think they did well there also. And so that leaves two probably bigger things i think all those things are pretty good you know i'm not sure what else they were going to do with the mid-level rubio he he might be done like that's a a potential concern uh at his age and coming off the torn acl but the two big things that are left now are ochai baji at number 14 and then of course the colin Sexton saga which which of those you want to start with Ogbaji, because the reason i'm giving the Cavs a very low grade here is an evaluation issue. So Kobe Altman, I mean, I've had a lot of beef with him. Sometimes I was right. Sometimes he was right with various different things over the years. But one consistent failing in this iteration of the team is identifying and valuing for wings. Like, so Markin is a frontcourt player. He is not a wing. And the Cavs, either through the mid-level or through the 14th pick in the draft, or, you know, the, what they gave up, in the, and this part doesn't count in this, what they gave up for Karis LeVert, they have limited their ceiling, despite a lot of other successes like Mobley and getting Jared Allen for so little and that working out well, and Garland, of course. And it was abundantly clear to, to both of us, but to a lot of other people, that getting threes and to a lesser extent twos that were viable on both ends of the floor was absolutely essential to the Cavs taking the steps forward that they want to take in the next couple of years. Even if those players players are not the ones driving it. If this is Garland, Mobley, and Jared Allen driving the bus, you still need those other people there. And Akbaji is interesting. He's, I think of him as a pure two. And the shooting, you know, maybe he can have some decent positional defense. That is, you know, that that is a piece that can work in there. But I think of it as more low-end starter upside. And they still don't have that answer at the three. And they, you know, so they, they haven't used that. And they, it's true that the free agent class wasn't robust with those types of players. But I am so frustrated that the Cavs have done 
done basically not nothing, but like near nothing to address their biggest weakness. I mean, to defend the organization, they've spent the last two years trying to get that guy. I think they're they're doing everything that they can. Well, except for to, giving up a first round pick for Levert, and yeah, and, and also giving up Nance for Markinen. You're you're right. I mean, I think they they have given up resources that could have been used or saved to try to get that player eventually. And you could also say that maybe they should have drafted Tari Eason instead. I mean, there, there weren't a ton of guys that I loved for them specifically in that part of the draft. And maybe you'd say, hey, they just don't have a guy who can defend. But they probably are like, hey, we already got a defender in Isaac Okoro who can't shoot. We need someone where we're, we're not going to be concerned about him being able to shoot. And I do think that when all this drama with Sexton sorts out and maybe Levert will be gone and maybe Abaji works out to where he could just be the starting two on this team and defend reasonably well and now you you can let Levert go if Abaji is looking good uh you could let Sexton go if you needed to but let's get to Sexton now and I think the reports that they are offering three years 40 million right now he's just never going to take that he's never going to take that and I think if they don't up their offer it's going to end up with the qualifying offer I mean I would I would have been willing to go you know 16 17 million a year for Sexton just on the hope that he's going to work out now I think there's this belief I guess around the league or within the team that he's just a sixth man and maybe even a fourth guard the way they've set things up with with Rubio and Levert in addition to Garland I still never understood trading for Levert I mean Chris Fedor does such a great job with them basically acknowledge that uh I can't remember that was might have been on Jake Fisher's show that they traded for him to make the playoffs last year it's just like why are you doing that I mean that's not part of this grade but like why are you prioritizing making the playoffs in like your first year that you've had any kind of shine whatsoever last year I mean I think they should have just not traded for Levert they still have this pick out there maybe it'll end up just being a second if they don't make the playoffs again this year but it looked like almost certainly that was going to be a, a pick that was going to go at the time they made the trade and then they lost in the play the, the faintest of silver linings is if they retain that pick yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, right? It's probably better for the organization that they didn't make the playoffs in the end to retain that. We'll see what happens this year. They very well could not make the playoffs this year as well. I think they're in a in a big group fighting in that East play-in as of now. But I think just going ahead with, with Sexton in that position, like he's still a really good player. They desperately need more shot creation. Like he does, he's better at that than Levert. And he also is younger and had a good health record until he had this knee issue. So I don't know what's going to happen with Sexton, but it's just it seems like it's going to be qualifying offer and then gone is the most likely outcome at this point and i think they should have just sucked it up and paid him a little bit more particularly with the cap rising and and also when you consider some of the other moves that they've made like you know this marketing deal for example it's like you're really like you're you're gonna pay larry marketing more than colin sexton who just like can't play basically he's just he has to play the three because they just don't have anybody else i, I will like, say larry marketing you know. can play he just doesn't fit this team well he's a backup he, he's not a starter level player in my opinion uh, i think that's it and you know they wasted this pick on a coro and uh which I, I wasn't totally against at the time i mean that draft just wasn't that good but it's just like this is a guy who's actually performed at a level that's probably the fourth highest 
of any guy that you have on the team and yet you're prioritizing all these other guys over him yeah he's not a perfect fit defensively but you got fucking Devin Mobley well, and, and Jared Allen like and, you're and, building and your team around those guys hard hard you know hardballing Sexton is extremely unlikely to produce long-term dividend like that's yeah. that's the problem here is that theoretically like you could you could conceptually retain him after you know you could retain him after this year but that's going to be you know if he let's say he picks up the qualifying offer that is going to be difficult and you know it's it's actually easier to get you know like a pick or something like that for Sexton if you pay him what he is willing to accept right now because we know it's not a ridiculous it's not a ridiculous number it can't be yeah I mean and they've kind of boxed themselves in you know they prioritize Rubio as well over Sexton now because they're oh we can't possibly pay the tax obviously or, or do anything to get out of it and so now they have you know basically enough room under the tax to offer him three years 40 million and so like that that offer now is just not going to possibly go up it just I, I really don't understand that so it, it just seems like it has to be headed to the qualifying offer or maybe even just him sitting out entirely I mean maybe you just go that route and see what happens and you know if they start poorly or, or Rubio can't come back and maybe they'll they'll up their offer um now he can't unilaterally sign the qualifying offer once you get into October so that's an issue they can pull the qualifying offer but still have him restricted so he, maybe you want to just sign that before you get into camp if you're him so what'd you end up with with these guys? I, I ultimately, I mean, I like some of the stuff they did along the margins. I don't like what they do with the Sexton thing. Abaji, I thought looked fine. Like I'm not as low on that pick as you, even though it's not a, an upside guy. I, I ended up going with the C minor. I went with a D, despite thinking Lopez and Neto in particular are very good players who will help them. And and I think that we shouldn't discount them as they're one year minimums. Like we'll see what happens beyond that. But because they didn't, they didn't make the thing the thing. You know, like they didn't, they didn't use the resources on the most important elements. And and the cap. I'm, I care more about that when I actually believe in a team and I believe in the Caps. I think that they have some really good things going and they get some bonuses for Garland not getting that player option. But I also don't think Garland had the leverage for that, even with an all-star appearance with the injuries and everything else that he's dealt with. I mean, and, and also like Garland, he had an awesome year, but it was preceded by, you know, I we'll have to see what, what their trajectory is versus what he did, you know, last year. So, I, I mean, I love sex, I love Garland. I think he's going to be good. But the the sexton part of this puts a sour taste in my mouth as well we can jump to the chicago bulls who did very little i would say that is largely justified by virtue of kind of where they entered the offseason they retained zach levine on a five-year deal with a player option so a four plus one and they did not give him a no trade clause kudos on that and because you know levine didn't make super max criteria that is for the 30 percent maximum then they drafted Dalen Terry out of Arizona with the 18th pick. They gave Derek Jones and Andre Drummond each one plus ones at slightly more than their minimum. Jones with bird rights, Drummond using part of the mid-level. And then they got Goran Dragic on a on minimum. So for me, they didn't do a ton and they didn't have a ton of wiggle room under under the tax. So right now they're about 1.7 million. And there is a demerit. Remember, this is an organizational grade that if they I theoretically could they have done better with the with the taxpayer mid-level than Andre Drummond if they used the entire thing as opposed to kind of like the wiggle room they had under the tax. Yes, but the taxpayer Emily crop was pretty damn weak. Yeah, if you had to identify these guys' needs coming into the offseason, it was 
another guy who can guard on the perimeter but also make shots at the four and that guy really wasn't out there they weren't going to be maybe bringing back Otto Porter could have been interesting I think he would have been an okay fit there or they tried to get in on Gallo and you know they didn't they could have maybe offered the full mid-level and been hard capped they would have been right up against it maybe they could have done some other moves possibly there as well they, they did get drawn they paid him slightly more than minimum just for the optics of not like i think it would have been 2.9 million is what he would have actually pocketed for the minimum um but they, they paid him slightly more than that gave him the player option for 3.4 next year as well uh same thing with Derek jones jr basically gave those guys the exact same contract jones jr and yep. drummond so if they had just gone minimums one year minimums and those guys plates they probably could have squeezed in gallo or, or beat that raptors offer for Otto porter if they really wanted to go that route um and those guys might help but let's remember the way this team is built is they use the number four overall pick on patrick williams two years ago and they need to figure out whether he can play or not uh they i actually think this would have been a good uh, they're on 15 roster spots now but this actually would have been a good carmelo destination as just throwing a guy at the four off the bench who can make some shots in certain lineups and maybe play with drummond they just because they're shooting at that position is just so bad and they got the same guys back i mean they they took you know 20 corner threes a game and made four of them in that buck series like clearly they need more shooting uh, that's kind of like a sine qua non for these guys Dragic getting him in particularly with some of the issues that Lonzo Ball might be having I think was useful they it seemed like they guaranteed him some playing time though there's a possibility he may just not be as good as I would assume move for example Uh, they did get Levine to come back gave him the player option that's fine at his age I mean I I think this is one of those you could obviously trade Levine uh, on that contract we'll see how it works out he does uh, I also there's some concern about that surgically repaired knee again no structural damage so that's why he had surgery so i, I think they ended up i, I gave him a c minus i mean terry is kind of he's basically if he works out he's kind of like a slightly longer version of alex caruso it seems like uh but you know maybe he's the eventual caruso replacement he's not a great fit but i think you just prioritize getting someone who can play and maybe they can teach him how to shoot in the end i, I think you know there maybe have been some other guys at that spot i would have liked better but they you know i think terry does he's not like a terrible pick or, or anything at that level i give them a so, b it's hard there isn't that yeah. much to grade on here but part of it no. was retaining zach levine you know they they got yeah. him they didn't give him a no trade clause which i don't give bonus points for because i i instead demerit the wizards for what they did and jones and drummond can help it is still like the the decision making process i like drummond but giving drummond a one plus one when you already have tony bradley and for whatever reason the bulls just don't like tony bradley and that could be a way that they open yeah, up a the fact, although nobody else seems to either because he actually opted in, in to, to a minimum one contract plus one on, at the minimum we saw that actually twice this year we saw it with uh Sfimi Sfimi. in toronto as well so that's that's when you know you're really you don't have any other options you're opting into your minimum player option for sure and so that that is a component of the of the evaluation and Derek jones can help them and i i, I like i like jones a lot we'll see you know he's going to be behind and actually that kind of works to have somebody behind patrick williams who can step in in case it doesn't work out but also doesn't have the equity that he's going to expect to be over him like that could have been a problem theoretically with porter of like 
why am I playing behind this guy if I'm better than him? And we saw that might have been part of the reason Otto Porter didn't want to go back to the Warriors with Kaminga and everything else. So yeah, I, I thought it was a, a reasonable one. Eventually, this grade will shift based on how we feel about the Terry pick. Also, conceptually, extension negotiations or a trade resolution with Kobe White. You know, like he's still on this team, but that will come to it'll come to a head at some point. Maybe they'll just go into restricted free agency with him. We'll have to see. So I thought they did a reasonable job within the constraints. And for me, as I mentioned in the end, I, I would have given them more of a demerit for not using the middle level if I thought there was somebody who would have actually really helped them. And you brought up Gallinari's possibility. I also don't think that Gallo would rather be a bull than a Celtic. So if you're sacrificing all that for really one guy. So I, I'm I'm just, I'm broadly on board with it. Oh man, I can't wait to get to Brooklyn because there's actually some yes. Brooklyn news that, but, that's just come down. We'll save it. But, we'll save but we it. Ha- and, we have uh, to wait. Sorry, sorry folks. You just got to uh, deal with the Charlotte Hornets here first. You will. And the Charlotte Hornets, weird offseason. I am basically not factoring in Miles Bridges at all, that situation. Yeah. And, and I meant to I meant to mention them or, or mention him on some of these other teams that kind of had cap space as well. That you know, the Pacers, for example, like maybe they might have been interested in him and then just obviously they couldn't be any longer. But I, I yeah, I mean in terms of bridges, I mean I guess we have to factor him in, but I, I don't know what else they could have done. I mean you're it, not gonna it, just pull it is a consideration but i don't know that how it affects their grade because i don't think they did anything you know like there there has a there isn't a resolution at this point and b i don't know what i would have done differently than they have than they have done to this point so you just kind of go okay the other important things that the Hornets have done first team in this section that in the east that has that had a coaching change and so that was yeah. originally firing James Borrego originally agreeing to hire Kenny Atkinson but then Kenny Atkinson backing out and then going back to the well with Steve Clifford I think Clifford let's take all those in in, in order here firing James Borrego what do you think of that fine completely fine I don't th- I don't think yeah. he was that value I to me I'm not sure he was a negative coach but I don't think he's a meaningful value add so I think yeah. teams- I mean they, they they got to the point where the defense was kind of clownish at times. I mean, they just needed to clean that shit up. And I think there's there are some cultural concerns there well as well, it seemed like. So I, I understand why that happened, even though Borrego had done some good things at times in previous years. Yeah. And, and I mean, they did win 43 games, what was it, right, with this group? Uh, but also, like, just co- two complete no-shows in a row in these playing games were uh, seemed to have sealed his fate. I would have liked Atkinson as I hire quite a bit. I think his reputation yeah. for players... More than Clifford? Yes. Because his reputation for player development is important. And also Atkinson has more, he, he did more of the kind of low hanging fruit stuff offensively than Clifford has. And I think that's, and I think Atkinson is just more malleable, which could be useful for the Torrance yeah. team. And Clifford, whether his approach is going to fall on deaf ears either now or eventually with the Hornets, you know, like, can he get LaMelo Ball and Book Knight and PJ Washington and some of these other guys to embrace defense more than they have? If he can, awesome. You know, if he can do that, you know, whether it's over one year or three years or four years or whatever, coach for for life, that would be that'd be fantastic for them. My instinct is that Atkinson is more like like I think I think Clifford can be a better coach for them in in 22-23 just by virtue of what he has traditionally done to a defense. But in terms of molding these players, getting them to to that best version, I would have trusted Atkinson more to do that. And I'm also frustrated. Well, well, and and I mean, the best reporting we have 
have indicates that yeah i'm sure he wanted to stay with the warriors and you know they're happy in the paradise of berlin game california but it sounds like they cheaped out on the assistants he wanted to hire and that was a significant component if not the reason why they lost him to just kind of convince him like oh right this is not a first class organization jake fisher noting that charlotte is normally in the bottom five in terms of assistance out right and so the reason why they didn't get they didn't get their desired target what does appear was money or a variant of money and not capped or taxed money just money money and on on the more the personnel side they retained cody martin four years 31 million with a non-guaranteed well, well actually sorry one more thing on the coaching sure team. uh mike d'antoni was yeah. also a candidate here yeah, he well, the two, the the two finalists both didn't didn't sign on the dotted line yeah and then they kind of went back to the safe choice that they know with clifford you know the michael jordan is i know he's not going to hurt me uh, type of thing i, I mean was would D'Antoni after it was he also like no I'm not going to do this if you're going to like cheap out on the assistants did they just decide not to go there I, I mean I think I would have rather had D'Antoni as a mentor to LaMelo Ball although I don't know that D'Antoni like on the offensive end it would have been great I don't know that D'Antoni would have been the guy to hold LaMelo Ball accountable in the ways that he needs to toughen up like mentally and physically uh so maybe maybe that was the thing and I think Clifford maybe can do that so I'm not sure between Clifford and and D'Antoni, I think I probably would lean D'Antoni, but he's also older. You know, Clifford maybe can grow with this group a little bit more, though. You know, he's not a total spring chicken himself. So, so anyway, uh, you're going to move on to the personnel stuff, though, right? And on the personnel side, Cody Martin, four years, thirty-one million, with a fourth year non-guaranteed. Remember that we originally it looked like, oh man, Caleb was so much better and got so much less, but with player options and non-guarantees, it looks more even there. And then the Hornets came into the twenty-two draft sort of similar to oh god i don't remember what year that was was that 17 the shea bridges year with two with two picks they eventually trade out of 13 for a protected for that for a top 14 protected denver first rounder so that's not a good pick and a, a, a variety of seconds i will say the 23 jazz second does look better now than it did then and but like not a ton of premium stuff like to trade out of 13 and then they use the 15th pick on yeah I mean, yeah what, what do you think just not even thinking of who they could have gotten or whatever just the pure value of that 2023 lotto protected denver pick you know that's probably going to be denver may not be quite as good as some people are expecting this year just due to the guys coming back from injury and stuff but that pick is probably low 20s yeah so you're basically moving back in time a year and from 13 to low 20s like they, they got Jokic and he never gets hurt so and your upside is limited with it being a lottery pick there's no chance that pick can be as high as it was you're going back in time here but you did get these four seconds at least a couple of which are are decent enough so it, just that value proposition before you even consider the players involved what do you think of that i think it's poor from the hornets perspective because yeah. those seconds don't a couple of them could be intriguing but you know you have the 13th pick in the draft and it's a, you know reasonably regarded and now we've seen more of these players and there are some guys there that could play it's not like this was a horrendous draft and next year is like the double draft or something like that where you could see a significant difference and also because that nuggets pick is lottery protected you don't even have the possibility that it becomes something juicy so this is it is guaranteed to be worse 
unless you factor in the context of maybe you can maybe you can outdraft that slot there and then they so they didn't do that and you know whether they would have rather had Duran or Akbaji or somebody else later then they drafted Mark Williams I I'm I'm not a huge negative on Williams and the, his defensive tools are intriguing but I'm also not effusive about oh he's the answer he's going to solve all their defensive yeah. and I would have liked someone with a little more mobility and versatility which I think Duran might be and, yeah. and I guess the, the question is like I think Duran is probably better than Mark Williams you can make the argument well hey you know all right if you take Duran at 13 uh then you the trade is not available for 15 that you made with 13 but I don't think that trade at 13 was like so overwhelming that it's like okay we we have to do that just blew us away like we have to do this and hey you know what if mark williams a little bit worse than duran fine we got such great value you know this wasn't i mean when you compare the value that the knicks got for the 11th pick and now they they read okc well and they they found themselves a trade partner who had a lot of picks to give up but like the to basically get three future picks of the value and then you know one of those three plus the seconds is what got traded for a pick two picks later i mean that's you know that that value doesn't look great so i mean to me i think i would have rather just made the pick of Duran at 13 and then just pick someone else at 15 you know tar eason would be a great fit with these guys aj griffin could have just been a nice developmental piece for these guys you know just to get more talent that's cheap uh in the pipeline uh rather than trading out i, I think probably would have been the role i would have gone i liked some of the guys in that area maybe they just decided they didn't they made a bet on of some sort we just don't we'll have to see what that pays out i also i like bryce mcgowan's a fair amount at 40 i don't love him but i like him at 40 and for example i like josh my not better who they theoretically could have taken instead and they gave they moved from 45 to 40 giving up that 23 nick second rounder to do it so they moved up giving up one of the four seconds they got and got a selected someone who i thought was worse so and and that's not always my favorite thing to do but that's not as big in the overall picture with them and so i gave the hornets a i, I originally actually I had it as a d plus i'm going to downgrade it to a d because there isn't anything big that they did that I really liked. I mean, the Martin contract is totally fine, and McGowan's at 40 is fine, you know, even if he wasn't number one on my kind of tentative preliminary board now. But everything else was just like, okay. And they're, you know, they haven't, and this is, of course, Bridges, like, this is Bridges centric. Like, they haven't used the mid level, but they, I mean, they, assuming Bridges was going to do what they thought he was going to do, then that wasn't, they weren't going to have that financial flexibility. Yeah. In the end, I went with a D plus for these guys as well. I thought the coaching thing was pretty sorry, you know, just not the kind of thing that happens with a, a first class organization. And you know, the Bridges thing didn't really factor in. And yeah, they just didn't quite do. I think what happened with thirteen fifteen. But hey, if Mark Williams is better than Jalen Duran, you know, uh, okay. The, then uh, I mean, so much of this is based on these draft uh, evaluations, and you know, I don't think they needed to bring in anyone from outside the organization uh you know they could have had room to use their mid-level potentially but the whole bridges thing hanging out there it has caused issues uh, with that they're gonna be right up against the tax if they signed him to what would have been his market rate so understandable that they didn't get uh, anyone really of significance from outside the organization they still have some wings like Ubre and stuff you know they, they allowed Ubre to guarantee they allowed Plumlee to guarantee 
as well and you know again i think that's plumly you don't want him at nine million but because there was enough guaranteed of his contract mark barlstein being a wizard of course that it just made so you're basically paying 4.4 million for mason plumley then you just keep him right that that was really more what the analysis was there okay let's get to brooklyn here and we'll catch up uh on this piece from sham sharania let me just make sure i've read the entire thing here since it came out as we're recording so basically what this says uh i'll give shams credit for not burying the lead no that 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 (laughs) lead is that lead is out there for all to see in a face-to-face meeting with brooklyn nets owner joe Tsai over the weekend all nba star kevin durant reiterated his trade request and informed Tsai that he needs to choose between durant or the pairing of general manager sean marks and coach steve nash and two other small tidbits from here that i thought were important durant stated he does not have faith in the team's direction actually three then shams put this in there what to make of this normally he wouldn't put something in like this unless he had some idea that it was actually a possibility he said across the league people have wondered whether durant could miss training camp should no trade develop and obviously shams has contact with kevin durant's camp to have gotten the details of this meeting i don't think he's just now this is maybe just a shot across the bow obviously and and for durant to just skip training camp like he would start getting fined and and would lose money i wouldn't recommend he do that i think he should go for the the hold in rather than the hold out approach because the penalties for holding out in the nba are pretty harsh uh and then finally noting on the trade discussions Cy and the nets have made clear privately that they will take every last asset from a team that trades for durant no you're not going to do that because then the team won't trade for him so right. try again you're not going to take well, every last asset i i have one more team. and yeah. that's the phrasing right after that of that the teams that remain so I'll, I'll use shams phrasing again the celtics raptors and heat remain the most significant candidates to acquire durant yeah. with boston's package centering around jalen brown seen as a viable deal and so first of all think about who is and is not included within that so the Phoenix Suns, one of the two teams Durant reportedly that we know of that Durant had on his like yes list. They are not on that list. The Toronto Raptors and the Celtics are. And part of that is because they have those top level assets. They have whether we're talking Scotty Barnes, which potentially we don't even know if he's on the table, but also just all of the other things that Toronto has. And Jalen Brown, of course, with the Celtics, which we know plenty about before. So to me, what this is at in no small part is Kevin Durant putting Joe Sy's feet to the fire, trading a player of his caliber is always an ownership level decision. And so the two of them meeting in London and Durant informing Sai of kind of where he stands is extremely central to this and also like kind of where it can go. But if if all it takes for him to be confident in the direction of the team is moving on from Steve Nash and Sean Marks, we could talk about like how big or small of a sacrifice that is for the Nets. Yeah, and I think it's particularly salient because of this idea that KD and Kyrie were kind of running things and that the Nets had lost control of their team and their culture. And there's all this stuff from Mark talking about how they're going to take it back. And perhaps that's what KD is upset with. And obviously being concerned with Steve Nash, like that was KD's handpicked guy. And you know, wouldn't be the first time that someone, whether it's a GM or a player, grew tired of a handpicked coach. You know, uh, uh, and it just, it, it is kind of funny that KD, I mean, I guess he wanted all this power and now he's mad at the Nets for giving him all this power and he, he, he well, wishes look he at all the chocolate you made me get- eat. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I so, went to, and, I went to, you let me go to the grocery store, buy whatever I wanted. All I bought was candy. I ate a bunch of candy and I got sick. How did you let me do that? I'm mad at our direction. But now, like, is there, is this the first time that a player has demanded that a GM be fired? Like, actually, straight out demanded. I, I mean, think it's the I first really time we've ever, this known, from KD. we've ever known that it, it to be true. Yeah. Like, like, I like this from KD because this isn't the LeBron. Hey, you know, just kind of guess at what I want. Uh, you know, I really would like you to fire Mike Brown and, and Danny Ferry and, you know, but I'm not really going to say it because I don't want to actually be accountable. You're like, no, no, it's, it's not me. Like this, this is your job. I'm just here to play. But, oh, by the way, I'm going to still subtly try to exert my influence. Nah, he straight up said, I want you to fire this dude or I want to get traded. I mean, that's like, that's pretty incredible. And I mean, when you consider how much the Nets are paying, we're going to talk about their off season in a second, but you know, they haven't exactly hit the stop button on how much money they're paying for this team and this is this is amazing what would you do would you, would you fire would you just fire sean marks yes fire fire steve dash i would and i, I mean marks, i think i would like this team could win the championship it's and and not only that if but kd because, is really gonna be if that's all he wants and he's yeah, under contract I mean, you just you gotta do it you just have to do it <laughs> and i don't think i don't think that game breaker offer is on the table and the the other part of it you know so you think about well what is the what is the opportunity cost like nash could end up being a good coach in time. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he had an arc similar to a lot of first-time coaches where, you know, if he wants to, if that's what he really wants to do, that a second job could work out well. But I don't think that he brought a ton to the table and that the Nets were this much better team because he was there. And then with Marks, Marks has had some real value-add moments with the Nets. He's been, remember, he's been running the show there since 2016 and the burning embers of the KD, KG Paul Pierce stuff. And building, you know, building them from that from those ashes into not only the team that they are now but the team they were before the team they are now is impressive you know bringing in Kenny Atkinson cultivating and drafting guys like Jared Allen and Karis LeVert Spencer Dinwiddie who they you know like Dinwiddie wasn't you know he was somewhat of a known commodity by that point but they like they became a viable team over those over those years a viable team that they then tore apart to satisfy Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving you know it's the idea that you build the you build the culture and then you sell the culture to get the players that do their own thing with it and so marks was great in that phase and i think he did some really nice work to grease the skids for the durant and irving things including that huge trade that they did right before the draft where they opened up you know they they opened up that space that was the um that was the 2019 draft where they kind of used they offloaded the crab contract at a very light salary in the trade with the hawks and then they eventually you know incorporated the d'angelo russell deal and got a got a pick in that transaction as well and but a lot of what marks has done in the kd Kyrie era i mean so i liked some of those mechanics but a lot of it also also been you know like okay this thing is happening i'm gonna do it and i'm going you know in this era it's been and i'm gonna give up a lot to make it happen i mean you think about that how much they gave up for harden and how that is affecting the direction of the franchise and then what they eventually got for him i mean ben simmons will that part of it actually work who the hell knows yeah and i guess maybe katie's beef is that they haven't taken care of Kyrie. i mean there's been or 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 is it potentially that they haven't gotten rid of him who the hell knows right exactly exactly right i I mean there really have been kind of conflicting reports uh on that and and as we get into their offseason and and to be clear i mean i think i would just 
I would fucking uh, now the fact that that this actually has gotten out maybe makes it more difficult for them to do it. Wait. to move on from because they look it looks like josiah is like wussing out to it, kd it, whereas it, like yeah yeah it does but yeah. i mean and so then you think about the consequences so you think about what does capitulation mean here and it does that mean hiring exactly who kevin durant you know like hiring shadow puppet general manager and coach for kevin durant puppet coach i don't think that's significantly you know like the 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 expected value is probably pretty similar to steve nash puppet general manager brings more risk but also Marks has been better at the phases of the team built of the team that aren't the current one. So that's, you know, making some good draft picks, building culture, not as much like extracting, yeah. you know, the maximum for trade yeah, value. Like for where they are as a team right now, Kevin Durant is just way more important. Right. Sean Marks. Like you can't get somebody else to do Kevin Durant's job. You could get someone else to do Sean Marks job. Uh, and, well, and, you know. and here's the other part of it. I, I brought this up when we we talked about Tim Connolly and Calvin Booth in the Wolves slash Nuggets section. I'm about to give Sean Marks and the Nets organization, irrespective of the Durant stuff, a pretty damn low grade for this offseason. And that's a reasonable calibrator of, I'm not saying that's the grade that I'm giving now is how good Sean Marks is as a general manager overall, but are you fighting to retain somebody who who given what they what they had going on made the decisions that he made so obviously it's incomplete pending what of happens course. with with kd i went with a d just based on what we know right now i, went with I a thought d plus. The, the royce o'neill trade was awful horrendous uh i thought that was like a d minus trade they're just not like oh i i mean you get the, oh man hey this guy's a starting level of player uh three and d guy we needed some more wings who could actually make a shot and hey by the way he also is only making like nine million so it's not going to destroy our our tax bill unfortunately he can't actually play anymore like he can't stop anybody like if you didn't like you couldn't guard jalen brunson like what's he going to do against some of the rest of these guys like maybe against bigger players he's a little better he's still six four Be- yes, being 40 percent of his threes on like 2.1 a game there there might not be a lower bar in the nba than being the best perimeter defender on last year's utah jazz other than Dan- and he wasn't that was actually Daniel house but uh yeah so so you know tj warren that's obviously a good sign to get him for the minimum but we'll see what kind of shape he's in but if, if he's around during the playoffs uh you know i i think losing bruce brown kind of sucks you know to to bring back patty mills on another one plus one and also to sign nick claxton for that contract like they had full bird rights on bruce brown they could have outbid the uh the nuggets on him now maybe the thought was that he doesn't fit that well with ben simmons well nick claxton doesn't fit any better with ben simmons either uh probably worse i mean bruce brown at least can dribble and hit a spot three which claxton obviously cannot so yeah i i'm uh that like that part of it i didn't really care for that much you know mills maybe that was wink wink from last year to, to opt him out and give him 120 percent of what he was making on another one plus one but you know he's kind of superfluous for this group at this point in time at least uh i mean still a good player like you retain him by all means uh but if it's going to cost you bruce brown maybe not because they have curry they have Kyrie. like you can't play these guys together like mills will be a 15 minute a game guy in the playoffs probably and then there's how they handled the Kyrie situation which i thought was not i would have paid him at least something you know i would have tried to negotiate and i mean okay if he said five-year max or nothing motherfucker then okay i wouldn't do that but i would have gone two and maybe even possibly three years because again just like 
you know, assuming that that's what Katie wanted, obviously. Yeah. Right. Like, do we, I don't know if we even know that, but I think, you know, that stalemate, that stalemate, I, I mean, I think the best reporting we have in terms of the timeline was we didn't hear about this KD, you know, Shams reported KD is going to be evaluating his option with the Nets shortly after it came out that Kyrie's thing wasn't going to get resolved. And, you know, particularly now with the fact that Kyrie could leave and go to the Lakers, that might be part of why Durant doesn't want to be there either because he just, he knows that he's not going to have a running mate after this year. So it's better to just get to where he's ultimately going to be because if Kyrie just leaves the and goes somewhere else, then, you know, they're kind of screwed. They have no way to replace Kyrie or they need to trade him during the season if he shows he's like a good citizen and comes back or whatever. And if they extend him, yeah, maybe if they could extend him two years, he'd still be tradable, but maybe he wouldn't accept that. In any event, yeah, because he would want to get extended up to the max. It's, uh, you know, th- they did do a few things that I liked, but a lot of things that I didn't really care for too much. And so I, I ended up going with a, a D overall. Uh, and maybe that's even too high right now. But hey, if they fire Sean Marks and then KD is back and they get to just roll in with this team and be a contender in the East, uh, hey, bump it up. <laughs> well, and, and another, you brought it up briefly, but another weird element of their offseason was like, they had restricted rights on Nick Claxton and we saw all of these different centers get squeezed and he got more money than Isaiah Hardenstein did. And, you know, that whether that, you know, three million or two million a year or whatever makes a huge difference for the Nets. Hard to know. It's size money, not mine. But it does seem like an opportunity that was lost. And yeah, I gave them a, a D plus and this will invariably move after this point. Um, Before we move on, I need to propose one of the most interesting Wapos we've ever had. What are the odds that Kevin Durant, essentially uh, that Sean Marks leaves the Brooklyn Nets whether by fired or voluntary, whatever, before Kevin Durant. Ooh, baby. I have my answer. Do you have yours? (laughs) I don't yet. Let me think harder. I'm going to just talk through this here. I think the right decision is to fire Marks if you really believe that this will make KD happy. Now, KD doesn't himself know what's going to make him happy five minutes from now. So your risk in firing Marks is that KD is like, well, I still want to be traded. Like, dude, this this was all just a test of whether you could actually stand up to me for once. And now that you did, I want to be, I want to stay here, be happy. You just, you never know what it could be. It could be anything. But take it, if, if you, if you're Josiah and you take his, uh request at face value the right move is to fire sean marks and hey you know what <laughs> you can always just rehire sean marks or so, someone else if kd uh, uh, ends up wanting out regardless although sean marks does have so much uh experience trading disgruntled superstars now you want to really leverage that um yeah i, I think you do that like you're just it's it's the logical uh, I, I always am concerned about the sunk cost fallacy, but to say, hey, we've gone so far down this path, like don't throw good money after bad, etc. But the thing is, they still are in a position. Like there are benefits going forward. Like they still are in a position to win a championship potentially. Well, I don't. I don't also don't even know if this is throwing good money after bad. Like this. Yeah. Now, now, of course, the problem is uh, one Josiah. I think we can say he has a healthy respect for authority. Uh, his own authority and uh, maybe some external authorities as well and perhaps Kevin Durant you know he already was kind of it seemed like Josiah was chafing and wanting to take back his franchise and last year was so miserable like Nick Friedle has talked about just how miserable everyone around the team was last year but you know this vaccination thing hopefully won't be an issue this year but you know this whole uh requesting to fire the GM thing could be a third real issue for Josiah and maybe he just decides fuck it like I, this isn't the team that I want to own I don't care I'm going to trade this guy but they're going to get 
better if Sean Marks sticks around now. Like this is this has been an amazing. I didn't see this coming, right? We thought the next inflection point would be in camp, in camp, and it may still be. I mean, I, I we'll see about KD holding out and what his attitude is going to be there, and you know maybe there can be a summit between all of them and they patch things up with Sean Marks. I don't think that's going to happen. KD. I think it's going to be more like the moon door than a summit. <laughs> When K, I mean, but you know, when KD is out on a situation or a person or whatever, he doesn't seem to change his mind. At least in that respect, like he's he he sours on things very quickly, but then he doesn't uh, tend to sweeten on them again. <sighs> My feeling is that Josai is going to feel like I have to draw the line somewhere. It'll just be anathema to him and his personality to do this. And this feeling like, you know, oh, we can, he can still play. Like if Sean Marks stays around, their leverage in trading KD may be reduced at that point, right? They're just going to have to rely on, on the external leverage. And um, hey, maybe that Jalen Brown offer would still be out there. You know, they're probably not going to get Marcus Smart. Would you, would you, I mean, that's the other thing, right? It's like, would you rather just take this Boston offer? and not have to fire marks and then will they just delude themselves into thinking they might still be contenders like they're going to lose Kyrie for nothing probably after this year and kind of the point of trading for Jalen Braun is like he can he's younger he can still grow with this group but you know Jalen Braun and Ben Simmons and Ellipsis isn't really a championship contender going forward maybe you could talk yourself into them that group being pretty good with Kyrie if Simmons is looking good which you know again that's that's the the fact that Ben Simmons and all his drama is now like issue number 27 with these guys is is just remarkable I'm going to put it on 34% that Sean Marks leads the Brooklyn Nets before. Well, okay, let's let's change up a little bit. Uh and if this changes your answer, let me know. But I think to for the get the spirit of the question right, you know, if we're talking about they're both here for 2 years and then Sean Marks leave. Like that doesn't count. Like it has I think it has to be before um invalid next invalid off. if um, if both are still there it, uh before uh if both finish this season with the team right if the, if on the the day that the brooklyn nets play their last game well no uh, let's no let's let's say on july 1st yeah that's that's the end of it, it no, no bet if uh if, both are still on the team in july 1st. i i rambled for a while there do you have anything to add and and in uh i do and <laughs> and it is that remember that josiah took over the brooklyn nets in 2019, Marks was already there. This is not his handpicked general manager. I think of this sort yeah. of like... Although he had been involved yes. and they knew he was taking over. They knew he was taking over, but in terms of like, we, yeah. we don't... But, but he wasn't there in 2016. Yes. Sure, when Marks, when Marks took over. So this is, I think of this, it's not analogous, but it is somewhat similar to a general manager who inherits a coach. They have a very positive relationship, but it's never all, all, all the way there. And I think, especially Especially if he had a one-on-one meeting with Durant, like it wouldn't stun me if Sai sees some of this from his, you know, like from this direction of like, am I really going to put, am I really going to put this person, Marks slash Nash, ahead, like as that, like that's the line, like that is that is a weird line to draw. And I brought up the uh, like the EV difference between Nash and a theoretical replacement, even if it's a puppet, and the same you could say for Marks. So like, and if Durant would actually be happy, he's under contract for four years like it's i i think so i'm going 65 percent. yeah 65 percent, man yeah i mean if you're hoping to get four more years of peace with kd by doing this i just if it were another owner and also simply the fact that this has gotten out already i think it would be if because if cyber just were willing to do this everyone would be like okay let's just do it and not make yeah. it clear it, it seems like he said no or something that wasn't yes 
yeah and that this is trying to put pressure on it and i think just, like i think joe Sai, like his personality he's just not he's just not gonna cave on, on something like this i think and and you know maybe i don't know how many owners would honestly in the end uh yeah jerry buss would have caved though i'll tell you that with, if it was magic johnson now magic's a little bit younger and had but uh you know when we've and, and i just like it's kind of weird because like coaches get fired all the time it doesn't necessarily get out that like the guy has i mean what this is the last time i can think of that it got out now magic actually said his in the media like after a game if if memory serves um that was back in i think 81 81 82 uh to paul westfall she fired and then they ended up bringing in pat riley and uh, after the jerry west pat riley co-coaching for a couple <laughs> of games yeah i can't remember the last time it was like this overt and particularly like the coach is one thing but yeah the gm i don't recall it ever coming out that like it needs it needs to be the gm i'm sure lebron has probably made some like you know made it known that he might prefer that the gm be fired uh hey if anyone should ever ask for a gm to be fired it'd be lebron and rob Polinka. yeah and, and marks i mean i think he is he's competent like he doesn't deserve to be fired i don't think but in these situations like deserve got nothing to do with it all right hawks fans sorry we had well, to no, delay you for celtics. so long here oh yeah right well celtics and hawks fans yeah uh i mean i think we can celtics pretty straightforward i, I think they just did a good job they got two rotation pieces in brogdon and gallo they're willing to pay they did maybe brogdon is a little overpaid and gallo maybe is a little overpaid because he's not likely to be a key fixture in the playoff rotation but hey if they're willing to spend it and they are and you just gave up what's gonna be probably a late first round pick to just get more quality depth and ball handling you know this is the most realistic way that they could have addressed their needs and they don't really they didn't really take themselves out of necessarily any future trading scenarios by keeping the pick that they traded pretty close in by just being their 2023 pick so uh nothing really to dislike here for boston as far as i'm concerned maybe you you take some risk on with brogdon but that's what you do in this situation when you're close to a championship i would describe both brogdon and gallinari as more luxuries than necessities where the and and somewhat risky luxuries in the sense that brogdon you know he has has this injury history and present and gallinari like he to me gallinari is not a 16 game player at this juncture in his career his defense is just too limited but you got gallinari for the mid-level you got for the tax pyramid level you got malcolm brogdon at the cost of a single first round pick in a year that you would fully expect to be good and then neesmith and you know some other stuff so the the asset price is exceedingly low. The actual price is is actually somewhat high, but there also wasn't another avenue unless it was, I guess, using the 40A exception for them to do so. And this is a better piece of business than that would have been. So yeah, A minus for me. Um, I, I like. Yeah, and, and they got off of Tice's. You know, I think he, he would probably help them in the regular season, but they that was he was an overpaid guy, and they got off of a couple of years uh, of his money. Right. So that yeah, that's another thing that makes it better so i gave them a, a minus what'd you give them i went for a b plus nice the atlanta hawks we can, can we just start with just this danny what would be your grade for only the murray trade because that's obviously the biggest thing they did by an order of two i'm lower on it than you i my inclination would be something in the d range probably a d minus 
because I hate the treadmill of pretty good. Like it's just a personal a personal thing that I hate. And so for me, the the kind of the key elements of this DeJounte Murray thing is going to be how good is their offense? How good are they overall offense, however you want to see it? What what is Murray's role when he and Trey play together? And then how good are the Hawks when Trey Young is off the floor? Because they've been bad when Trey Young's been off the floor. Can do that. But like I just think Murray is he it is such an optimistic version to say that he is a great fit there because Murray as an off-ball player has been really challenging the last few years yeah as much as he has improved yeah it's interesting I I think there's so many layers to this uh, you know, I do think he's overrated. He's not an all-star level player to me, despite making the all-star team as an injury replacement. He is young. He could get better, but I just don't see him being a good enough offensive player as a shooter, or even as, as an on-ball creator, frankly. You know, I'm not sure. I mean, they, they got a point guard who's better than any backup they've had, but I'm not sure that the DeJounte Murray-led second units are just going to be like, you know, plus eight net rating, just killing the league. Like, I, he'll provide competence there, but I don't think he's, you know, going to be elevating that group by himself with his ability to shoot some mid-rangers off the pick and roll um but you know it, he also gives them an on-ball defender between he and hunter you know they have a guy who can play conventional pick and roll defense against guards and murray and then they also have hunter who can take some of the bigger guys and they've gotten i think as good as they realistically can defensively now while you know still having a capable offense with they're going to go hunter at the three collins at the four capella as their five man he he came on after a rough start last year and then you know murray and trey it's not as much shooting as you would like around trey like it's going to be a little more pressure on trey to produce this year but they should be worlds improved i would think defensively particularly because they also moved on from herder who won't be in the starting lineup i mean that upgrade from uh herder to murray defensively is pretty good now we'll see if deandre hunter gets hurt again then they don't necessarily have anyone to step in in that role at the three i guess they got justin holiday in that king's trade like he's probably someone who can play for them mo harkless yeah and, and someone who nate mcmillan will actually play due to their history together right yeah that, that's a good point there too they're they're light on shooting now though with uh bogdan is really their only premium shooter having lost herder and bogdan also is you know he's questionable for the start of camp so i don't know whether he's going to be the same guy and that's a concern but he's obviously a, a really good player he can play the two next to either trey or murray uh, on bench units and maybe even close some games if there's no one for hunter to guard so I, I think their team makes sense you know I, i'm still trying to wrap my head around how good they're gonna be i'm looking to talk and looking forward to talking to brad roland hopefully he'll agree to come on again this year and, and we can discuss it more at that point uh but the cost for murray all of the picks that they gave out unprotected 25 oh, yeah well so no not the not the charlotte pick that no 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 I, i'm saying of the unprotected picks that they gave out yeah they, they that weird charlotte pick from the kai jones trade was one of them which is fine you know that one is well protected but then the first in 25 the swap in 26 and the first in 27 all unprotected all after Dejounte murray's contract expires but DeJounte Murray, even though he's a flawed player, and yes, the $17 million does fix it so you can't extend him, and that's a concern. I don't know if you necessarily want to do that like absolute max extension right now anyway. Let's see how it goes, and you, you can always just pay him more with bird rights at that point, and he apparently wants to be in Atlanta, and, and if it doesn't work out, then maybe you're just like, all right, we'll just lose him. You know, with, like taking guys to free agency who are that big, like I think with everyone else doing extensions, maybe it's not the end of the world yeah, if those guys the, get the bull, The Bulls with Levine is a great example there. When there weren't yeah, there yeah, weren't or, viable or the other places right. but murray could have 
have a but, different well, constituency. Well, let, let me just finish that point real quick. Sure. So he's making $17 million now, and that's what enables you to basically just add him to your team. And he's making so little that it's not like, oh, we had to send back all these useful contributors like the Wolves did with Gobert. You get to hold on to everyone that you really wanted to hold on to because he's making so little and not run into tax concerns. So that's, that's part of the value that you are paying for in giving up as much as they did. But, I mean, they gave up us so much. Uh, they gave up a ton. It's risky. And I don't think they did it for a team that is going to be that good. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what do you think, and this isn't a Watfo or anything like that, what is your instinct for the best playoff result that happens for the Hawks while DeJounte Murray is on the team? Yeah, I mean, probably a relatively weak second-round exit. That's my thought, too. Um, you, you know, within the next three years. I mean, things could change a, t- a ton with development from guys like Hunter and Okongwu, and maybe other trades can be made, etc. But yeah, with this kind of iteration, that'd be my guess. But here, here's the thing also, and there's still, you know, I know they had that conference finals. Throw that out the window. Let's pretend that they just had been about the same level that they were last year, the year before, which is kind of what they were. It was a weird conference. It was a weak conference. It was a weird year. They had no business even, you know, probably winning a first round series, not to mention making it to the conference final. But let's say they're still kind of building up. Trey Young is the best player they've had since Dominique Wilk. I don't think that they had a path, like the path not traveled, I don't think would have led them anywhere different. Now, maybe you could say, hey, if it doesn't work out with Trey, then you end up, like what you're really hurting here, I think is your possibility of trying to rebuild from 25 to 27. Or, or, maybe or the next rebuild is going to be rough. Or get a different number two than DeJounte Murray. Like they could have used two unprotected firsts and a swap that far out at a different point in time to get another good player. Yeah, maybe so. But again, I think they're just, and, and this is the case for Minnesota with Gobert as well. Just now Atlanta is a slightly better market than Minnesota in terms of people wanting to go there, but there just aren't that good of players available. Like I think, again, Murray was a little overrated, but if he's the 50th best player in the NBA, that's probably more where I would have him. It's still getting a guy like that on a good contract, that young, in theory, still has some upside. I don't see it as much, but I'm not going to totally rule it out. He has had a nice rate of improvement in his career. Uh, So I, I think you do have to, the idea of quote unquote going all in at this point with this team, like Trey Young, as I mentioned, is the best player they've had since Dominique Wilkins. Like, I think you, yeah, he's probably not going to be a top five player in the NBA and maybe he's a top 10 regular season player, but probably not in the postseason. But this is the guy you have. You know, I mean, kind of similar, they're kind of in a similar situation to where Portland has been all these years with Damian Lillard and like Portland tried to do it and they got a surprise conference finals just the way the Hawks did, maybe later on in the process than the Hawks did. So I, I just, yeah, Murray wouldn't be the exact guy I'd want to go to, but the fact that he makes less makes it a little more palatable because anyone else, any other number two they would trade for would probably be on a max contract that limits your team building around those guys so i i don't think it's going to work out that well but i'm not just like totally flummoxed at why they did it and hey when you see like i i would say that here's a question for you danny who's the more valuable asset player plus contract right now Dejounte murray or rudy gobert for me, DeJounte. Yeah, I think it depends what you're you're going for. I mean, it's interesting too that the Wolves were in theory and on DeJounte as well. Clearly they, <laughs> they uh, now maybe the Spurs are just like, we'd rather have Hawks picks than Wolves picks because you, they've got Anthony Edwards and Towns. But Gobert maybe is more valuable because he's just a better player right now and he, he can just push you to higher level in the first two years or whatever. But you know, when you consider it, you're kind of like, okay, DeJounte Murray, plus now you can also hold on to Bogdanovich as well. Like, 
like is that more valuable than gobert and you also just don't have that ugly back end of this contract like you do with gobert and like you would with basically anyone else you're going to be trying to trade for that they could have reasonably afforded so yeah i i ended up i mean we, we haven't even talked about the rest of what they did yet but i ended up going with a, like a d plus for that trade it would have been nice to maybe give up you know get like give us some you know top one protection on these picks or something like that right or at least get one of them protected so, so where you're just like if things go crazy wrong you're not just like completely fucking yourself on the rebuild but maybe that just you know good good negotiating by the spurs so i and then the rest of what they did should we get to that your your i'm sorry what was your uh your grade for just the trade i was in the d range i don't know that i had a specific yeah. one but probably like a d minus and then yeah. out- i was in the c minus d plus range and then outside of that they had the 16th pick draft drafted AJ Griffin the last player the last player drafted that we scouted I are that I scouted I watched Griffin you did not I liked him yeah. but it, it is concerning that he missed summer league due to injuries when that is a part of what has affected Griffin so he definitely didn't raise the stock probably lowered it a little bit not by playing badly but by not playing at all and then they traded Kevin Herter for this weird protected Kings pick, 1 to 14 and 24, 12 and top 12 and 25, top 10 and 26, then becomes two seconds, plus Justin Holiday and Mo Harkless, both of whom could potentially be a part of the rotation. I think that's a reasonable return for Herter. Herter, I thought, was on a positive value contract, even if he was a terrible fit with Trey Young defensively. And I mean, I thought about how it was a little bit strange from Sacramento's perspective, but from Atlanta's to some money to trade a guy who obviously was not going to start for you and was a kind of an even bigger luxury. I thought they need to make a move with either Bogdanovich or Herder. And Bogdanovich makes more sense with this iteration of the team than Herder does. So yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. And you and I, for the Watfo of whether that Sacramento pick for Herder will convey, you have 35%. I have 50%. I'm kind of feeling like I went too high there. Mm-hmm. It's uh top 14, 12, and then 10 protected. Yeah. So only three years. Yeah. For starting in 2024, then because comes it then also becomes two seconds which is worthless so what was your ultimate grade for these guys a d yeah and mine was a c minus basically about right as the same as the i had for the murray trade all right this was fun thanks kd <laughs> he never disappoints on the floor or off the floor uh but yeah get it we're gonna get going here and we'll be back later this week to talk off-season regrades hold ourselves accountable make sure you listen to this first before the off-season regrades though because then you'll know that we're completely full of shit on these <laughs> these grades that we do in the moment all right we'll talk to you all again later in the week